The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. It's a, another edition of your monthly independent wrestling history podcast, Rediscovering the Indies. I'm Chris Gello, joined alongside Jonathan Ash. Hello. And uh, we're continuing our deep dive into the promoting career of Burt Prentice. And me and you, when we first talked about this, we're like, oh, this will be like two parts. Then we're like, oh, probably three parts. We looked at it that this could be four or more. <laughs> we were looking at the notes today. So, but we'll have fun uh, talking about it. Uh, where we left off was we have North American All-Star Wrestling. It's here. And, but now it's pivoting. And it's pivoting away from the Arkansas, Missouri area, uh, USWA territory, and moving more into the Nashville Tennessee area, which that's where we're going to start. Before we start, though, I, of course, want to thank everyone who's listened to us. Uh, tell your friends about us. We're on all the major streaming services. You can find us on RTI Pod on Twitter and Instagram now, RTI Pod. Just got to work on changing the Facebook name, which is still Rediscovering the Indies. But you can check us out on all those uh, uh, websites for any announce- show announcements or anything like that. Uh, and also, of course, want to thank Matt Johnson and the podcast Precinct uh, and the BICBP Radio Network for having us. But we'll get right into it, Ash, and we'll start here uh, in 1997. We are now in 1997, um, and on the March 10th, 1997 Observer, uh, Dave lists some results. I'm going to pivot a little bit from the last show. I know we were listed kind of results for results. I'm looking back at it, and me and Ash talked. It could be a little monotonous. So just going to kind of discuss where these shows were. And then list any notable talents that were on the show. And if there's some crazy match, of course. But uh, from March of 1997, we do have a February 26th show in Nashville. Most notable from there, we got uh, Tommy Rich beating Tracy Smothers by DQ. Uh, Of course, the Colorado Kid is there as well. And Doug Gilbert and Debbie Combs are the most notable on that show. Uh, March 17th, the 19, uh, 1997 Observer, they have the results from the March 5th show in Nashville. Uh, most notable from there, uh, Doug Gilbert and Tommy Rich uh, are on that teaming. Uh, we got Debbie Combs beating Candy Devine uh, and the Colorado Kid uh, going to a double count out uh, with Tracy Smothers. And then is a, and we have a lot of 1997 results. So we're going to kind of just go through these and we'll stop for anything notable uh, here. But uh in the March 17th, I'm sorry, in the March 31st, 1997 Observer, we have results from Camden, Tennessee. So a different town here. Similar crew. Uh, we got Tommy Gilbert on this show. How old was Tommy Gilbert in 1997? Uh, he's, he's, he's up there. Uh, we got Tommy Rich and uh, Doug Gilbert uh, on the show. Doug Gilbert um, wrestling multiple times. This looks like this possibly could have been like a smaller like sold show because there's one two three four five six seven there's nine talents on the show and and tommy would have been 57 tommy gilbert look at that 1997 there uh we also in that same observer have a march 22nd lebanon tennessee result and this this result 
has a number. And we talked about that on the last show, how some of these results have numbers and some of these don't. And Burt Prentice was the one sending these in to Dave. Uh, but on this Lebanon, Tennessee show, we have a 400 sellout. Most uh, notable on this is Tommy Rich, Doug Gilbert, and the Colorado Kid. Other than that, uh, a lot of locals uh, on the show. Uh, and then on the April 7, 1997 Observer, we got March 26 results in Nashville, where they're doing a uh, tournament for a title shot uh, for the North American title. We got Buddy Landell is on this show, Doug Gilbert, Tommy Rich, uh, and of course the Colorado Kid um on that too and uh he he defended and won his north american title and we have here april 14 1997 observer april 1st in nashville uh 150 he listed 150 for this but maybe he didn't send the result in uh most yeah, it seems got, pretty, that seems pretty low for him <laughs> yes most notably got to give it frank parker is on this show uh buddy landell sean casey uh, controversial Sean Casey, uh, back on the NDC now, but, uh, uh, there was some, uh, he made the headlines years ago. Um, let's see here. Uh, we got Colorado kid, Chris Michaels on the show. We got April 20th, 1997, April 16th, Lebanon, Tennessee. Uh, get Chris Michaels. We got the moon dogs. Okay. We don't know which moon dogs that was. Uh, JC Ice and Doug Gilbert beating Tommy Rich and Buddy Land, Buddy Landell. And this is what I love. So that show is almost almost a replica of the next night in Springfield, Tennessee, where you have uh, JC Ice and Doug Gilbert beating Tommy Rich and Buddy Landell in the main event. How far away is this Lebanon and Springfield? I mean, and, back back then, you're not getting fans traveling to wrestling shows, so I guess that's that's fine. And you might know, you might know better than me, Ash. Is USWA, which we're going to kind of talk about the end soon with them, but they're not. Are they even running Nashville at this time? Or is this his market pretty much? Uh I believe they're still running Nashville. Um, yeah, Springfield and Lebanon are an hour away. One's on one side of Nashville. Once on the other, um, delivering the same main about. So if you're if you're a super fan, you live in the center of Nashville. You're like thirty minutes from each location. So you, there could have been fans that went to both. Um, but th- that's nothing new. And like WWE still does that. With you're gonna see a house show in one city, and then ninety minutes away the next day, they're doing the same exact card. But let me let me take a look. I'm looking up uh, USWA right now. While you're so, looking at, oh, go ahead. They got it already. Oh. All right. No, uh, now cage match is never always 100% accurate with USWA for some strange reason. But no, uh, here's like Springfield, Tennessee in '96, Nashville, uh, Memphis, Nashville. Yeah, there were somewhat regularly here's i don't know like this lists one in may one in june two in july one in august so like they're, so they're, they're at least they're, they're running it i don't know if it, they're, they're running still completely. in nashville okay. yeah 
can't really tell if they're running weekly or running more often than that, but they're at least they're still doing shows. But it, it might have even been in that situation where they weren't running often enough, so it didn't bother them. Um, that well, if if you're Bert too, you're trying to capitalize on maybe like a town that you could take over. He had to have known for all the time he was, and he was just in USWA not too long before this. He had to have known that like the money problems were there and that it wasn't going to be around long. And Oh, maybe Nashville's a good market because it's weird that he pivots from Missouri and Arkansas from like that main Memphis town to the Nashville area. Or Memphis area, I should say. Yeah. And considering Memphis was still strong, Memphis was still like the last holdout that they were still doing somewhat decent numbers in. But again, like we talked about in a previous episode, when you had uh, USWA won nothing to do with Burt Prentice, and then Burt got Dundee and a bunch of other names, and just all of a sudden, uh, they took off. And USWA now wanted to work with Burt. All right. So, uh, yeah, so... You know, we're kind of in the middle of all these results where we just have mostly results from the Observer, but he's in Nashville. Uh, he And have you noticed this, too? When he takes over a new town, and we'll see as time goes on if this changes, but it's very name-heavy, and then it starts to dwindle. <laughs> so he's getting, you know, he's got Tommy Rich, and he's got Buddy Lindell, he's got Doug Gilbert, he's got J.C. Ice, he had Tommy Gilbert. But let's see if that's the same trend, like... A little bit later on as time goes on. It possibly could be, but we saw that with Ozark Mountain Wrestling that the star power dwindled. Uh, as far as notable star power, I'm sure local star power, but as far as national star power, that did dwindle as time went on. Oh, yeah, you definitely, you, you go into a new city, you did, you definitely want to hit him with the star power, and then if the numbers, if your draw doesn't stay at that consistent level you're not gonna you're not gonna have the money and the budget to continue bringing in the names is he dude i don't know if anyone's ever had the conversation that because he ran so many territories is he one of the biggest culprits of hot shotting <laughs> i mean i don't really know much about the angles because we don't have a lot of the tape and stuff like that but like just name wise, like, hey, we're coming to town. We're going to bring all these people that you remember from Continental or USWA or, or you know, or CWA or whatever. And and then as time goes on, it's mostly local base and it's a Colorado Kids show. I, I mean, consistently for the long for a long period of time, maybe. But uh, there's Cause we even there's... saw in Dallas when he's running Dallas, his star power dwindles, too. Yeah. Well, I think I, I do think a lot of it is just him like wanting to run with these names, and then but the the draws don't stay up, and he can't afford them. Because why why wouldn't you want some of these top name talent on your on your show on a weekly basis? And you got to give Burt credit. He went to cities that had wrestling history. He was in the Dallas area. He was in the Memphis area. And now here he is in the Nashville area. Uh, you know, footholds for pro wrestling for years. He never really ran an untested area. It wasn't like he was just going to, or or like he didn't go and 
I mean, we, we do have results in Kansas, but but from way in the beginning. But I, as far as I know, he didn't run Kansas City because they never were that good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 it also seems like he would run areas that, uh, yeah, had wrestling history, but areas that also weren't doing really well comparatively with like the other companies like he's running dallas no one really was setting the world on fire in dallas no uswa wasn't selling out the mid-south coliseum in the mid 90s so it was more of him like not only did he go into an area that had wrestling history but he also went to an area that wrestling was kind of suffering so it was easy pickings for him to come in and of a new company to come in and try to jumpstart the area. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, just, just kind of, you know, looking back at, at this and we talk about, you know, Bert was a good businessman. He, He didn't keep these businesses open long. He would move around, but I think he just would know that if you go to a town like that and kind of, kind of pick it back on what you're saying and just like, look at my better product. Like, look, I got those. I got Bill Dundee that used to work there. <laughs> you know, because he would always have people jump. Yeah, he'd always get. He is. We're we're going through the steep dive. People would jump all the time. And and this is you know remember too. This is the nineties are a scrambling area for wrestlers because the territories are dead at this point. Of course, in ninety seven, but they're dying in the early nineties. Like really dying. Uh, and got guys are just, they don't know how long a place is going to be open. So they're just kind of jumping ship to ship to ship, which I don't blame them. Yeah. I I think it was a lot of, a lot of old school territory guys that didn't want to believe and didn't want to accept that the territories were dead. So they would jump. I think they would jump more to whoever's going to offer them more money. Um, because in their minds, they probably saw it as, you know, this is what you do in the territory system. If and probably saw like if one company's not paying you what you believe you're worth, you can get it across town. Unfortunately, like not realizing that, you know, the entire market is dwindling for territory wrestling at this point. Yeah, I mean, you could only put a fresh coat of paint on it. Like if the area is it needs a break from wrestling needs a break from wrestling and uh you know and we'll we'll talk about that later in probably part seven of this <laughs> but um oh and 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 then we look at like the numbers here like 150 obviously but a lot of other ones are like 400 like it, obviously occasionally he's drawing uh he's drawing in the high three figures for some shows but like 370 360 for some of these shows like that's that's an average draw for a top indie nowadays so we had and now we got the may 5th 1997 observer and, and uh, you'll enjoy this ash so in a- april 16th and 17th lebanon and springfield jc ice and doug gilbert beat tommy rich and, and bloody landell well what was the main event on april 22nd in nashville tommy rich and buddy landell beat doug gilbert and jc ice so he gave he gave the big city the the uh which I'm assuming is the uh, 
I don't know. I can't tell if that would have been the baby face team or not. You never know that did... either. Yeah. Billy Briggs and Farron Fox worked. Uh, yep. You had same. Sh- yep, same match. It was in Springfield. Uh, you got a few different matches here, but still, still, like you're basically doing the same card more or less that you just did. 30 minutes to the east and 30 minutes to the west of Nashville the week earlier. Yeah. I and mean, you, I, I, again, that's what you did. You can do this and you could do this in the nineties still, you know, this is before the cell phones. And now you, you like, now you really can't do that. And, you know, I mean, how, even how shows like, yes, they put on the same lineups, but I think that's what part of drives people away because somebody will not go to the house show in their hometown but they'll probably look at results at the city nearby, then look at their hometown and go, yeah, I'm glad I didn't go. It was the same show. Yeah. Yet they're not going to attend that show in the other town, which it kind of makes their point, but that that's what happens. Um, I would, you know, not to get into WWE, but the, WWE almost doesn't acknowledge how show and dark matches like they exist in their own universe. Um, and I, I sent you a screenshot, like where they were doing a storyline that Butch, you know, Pete Dunn was missing and I saw him in a dark match being a Venom on Monday <laughs> Raw. <laughs> like, so, uh, I mean, I guess they're trying to keep it alive that it doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, I, you, I've been saying it for years. If you want proof of when Kayfabe died, you look at WWE in the early 90s. Not only, like, like the, the story, the example I always go to is Erwin R. Scheister, where... If you watched WCW, you just saw this guy on TV there as Michael Wall Street, and now he's an accountant, and Grillo Monsoon and the rest of the commentary team are playing dumb, like, that they don't know who this guy is. Then you have Papa Shango, you have a witch doctor. <laughs> but not just that, I uh, if you ever attended a WWE show during that era, like, it kind of started in the 80s, but that, like, early 90s was really weird took off where like if you attended a show a WWE show you could see I don't want to say how fake it is but you could see like how much the magic of TV is with WWE with how they do house shows and how they film a month worth of TV and then how they play it off differently on TV than they do in the in the live in the live arena and it just it ruins the magic of wrestling and I still think like WWE kind of does that today. You kind of like you ruin the magic if you're going to shows. Yeah. Like especially like when SmackDown started. SmackDown always taped on Tuesdays and aired on Thursdays. But you didn't know that they didn't. They never said SmackDown was taped on Tuesdays until like you see an advertisement for SmackDown taping in your hometown. You go to it. And you're like, oh well, I guess SmackDown isn't actually live. Like, it's little things like that that just, I think, ruin it for the fans, little kayfabe things. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, and I, I guess with this, it's it's easy night for the for the workers, you know, the wrestle in the same match. But the thing is, is that he's not running a day-to-day territory. Like, yes, Lebanon and Springfield are next to each other, but it's he's running like a once-a-week territory for the most part with the spot shows here and there giving the same lineup is, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's the thing. We look at here, Nashville on the 22nd Lafayette, Tennessee, the 25th Lafayette is 
a little over an hour. Yeah, and these uh, aren't northeast. far drives. These are like an hour away. Like all these towns seem to be an hour away. But yeah, we'll actually yeah, let, let's 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 get in, in into the other results that were listed in that observer. April 25th in Lafayette, just kind of well the notables. Uh, we got JC Ice and and Doug Gilbert not wrestling uh, Buddy Landell and Tommy Rich. Uh, and in Lebanon, uh, we have uh, G-Size and Doug Gilbert beating another tag team that's not Buddy Landell and Tommy Rich. They're not on that show. Uh, they actually do, like, double duty um, on that Lebanon show. So only G-Size and Doug Gilbert. There's actually no Colorado kid on these either, on these shows in Lafayette and Lebanon. Um, we got May 12, 1997 Observer. We got April 29th in Nashville. Uh we got J.C. Ice and Doug Gilbert in a street fight, beating Buddy Landell and Tommy Rich. I mean, I guess you're building up a program. I guess that's what you got to do. Yeah, um, that's that's classic Memphis. Where, but Memphis also had the Saturday morning TV show. But you could sell out. You could sell out buildings back then. That's the old Memphis wrestling style. You could sell out a building with the same match. Lawler working the same, the same hero opponent for a month straight. Like it would sell out. This really isn't selling out when they're only drawing 150 or less. We have uh, the uh, May 19th Observer that has results from Nashville on May 6th. Um, we have um, Doug Gilbert and PG-13 together in a no contest with Tommy Rich, Buddy Lindell, and Zubala. <laughs> Couldn't tell you who's about this. PG-13 also wrestled early on the show. Tracy Smothers is on there as well. And I, I can already see from the notes, Ash, you're going to look, you're going to find out who Zubala is. Tom Burton's on these shows, by the way, too. Oh. Uh, but you're going to find out who Zubala is for us. Uh, but while you're looking up Zubala, this is where it starts to get nitty and gritty here. Now we now we got some juicy details. Uh, May 26, 1997, Bill Dundee is also gone, having joined the rival North American All-Star Wrestling from, from the USWA by the CWA News, group run by Burt Prentice, where PG-13, Doug Gilbert, and Tommy Rich, all former stars of this group who carried the promotion the past few years, are now working. All right. Uh, and I guess we'll just kind of briefly discuss the result that's in Observer 2. We got Kyra Okay, we got Terry Golden, Bill Dundee, Doug Gilbert uh, on here. Uh, Robbie Rage, which I don't think is the Robbie Rage from WCW. No. Uh, on there. Actually, it, it definitely isn't because uh, uh, one on one with Mighty Heidi. So it looks like that Robbie Rage was a uh, woman's wrestler. Um, and, and again, the main event is Bill Dundee defeating Doug Gilbert. Yep. So Dundee's already working. Yep, Dundee's already there. Now, this is interesting, right? Because where is PG-13 also in 1997? (laughs) They are with the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. And who do they have a relationship with? Uh, The Nation of Domination. Well, (laughs) the USWA. (laughs) Because even to the end, I, I... I, I love watching the end of the USWA just because I do it for every promotion. I have this sadistic mind that I like watching the end to see w- how bad it was or, you know, was it actually good at the end, you know? Um, and at the end of, like, USWA, they got, like, fake Razor and, uh, you know, uh, fake Diesel, which is, you know, Kane. They, they got a few WWF talents still there. 
at the end. I think like all the um oh Truth Commissioner there. Like when the USWA ends, there's still WWF talent on those shows. On those last few shows. And which is weird because I don't even think Lawler's around at the time. I think I, I think like Larry Bird knows and I'm I'm not sure if Lawler's even on those. I think we get into that later in the notes. Yeah. Um because everything ties in. So the the PG thirteen story on USWA. Um I'm trying to remember, I've heard the story before where uh they did have a falling out in USWA. They had a falling out with Lawler. Where at that point in time with PG thirteen working with the WWF, uh, they were obviously needed every week on on Mondays for Raw, um, and then they would do they would they work Raw wherever Raw would be on Monday, and then they'd fly back to Tennessee and then work USWA every night of the week. They had asked for, I believe, Tuesday or Wednesday off. I I don't remember, but they basically went to Lawler like, hey, we need this day off, which I believe would have been Louisville. Um, Louisville would have been Tuesday, Evansville would have been Wednesday. Either one. They asked for one of them off thinking either either territory really wasn't doing well at that point either. Both cities weren't. But they went to Lawler and asked for that off, considering, like, they're they need that extra day to travel, and you know they'd be flying back that morning and then immediately driving to that show. Uh, and from what I can remember, it was seen as a sign of disrespect that these guys now thought they were big time and worked for WWF, so they could dictate where they worked and didn't need to work the small shows. Which well, entirely was not the case, even looking at that story. Yeah, and and I don't know if anybody in, in the office cared about what USWA thought, but, like, isn't it kind of, like, for them to... I, I, I guarantee they didn't tell WWF they were working for Burt. <laughs> no. No, because, again, it was like, you're here on Monday. We don't care what... We don't care what you do any other time. So, again, that wasn't... Yeah, it's like... The office didn't care. It was just like they were going to fly home to Memphis on Tuesday morning. Um, or even if they were doing tapings on Tuesday, whatever. But they were going to fly home and then just whatever, just be back here next week on Monday. Do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, it. Like, it just, to me, I still can't, like, I, I understand WF doesn't care what they do, but it's like you, this is a, literally a partner promotion with the promotion you're working for. <laughs> like you're gonna risk it. You're really like they don't know that no one cares in WWF. You know what I mean? Maybe they do, but it's almost like you're risking like your t- shot at the big time. But I will say this: at this time, PG thirteen's not having a ton of matches in WWF. They're more just doing the rap song for Farouk. Well, yeah, that's all. I think let me let me bring that back up. I did. I'm sure they're wrestling on house shows. I guarantee they're wrestling on house shows because they're good. They were both very good bump guys. No, they were only cage match only has one match. It was Legion of Doom defeated PG-13 on Raw. Wow. So they're they're just doing the rap thing and and just being the cronies. 
uh, May 12th, 1997. So right around this time, they lost to Legion of Doom in two minutes. Also, oh, look at that. They they they, they lose to uh, to Legion of Doom, and then uh, boom, they're right back in the <laughs> in the North American All Star Wrestling. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, we'll move on to the uh, June second, nineteen ninety seven uh, Observer, where we have Burt Prentice is expected to get a television show or television shortly in Memphis in a nine thirty a.m. time slot for a thirty minute show on a different station than USWA, which starts at ten a.m. So, by this news, he's probably planning to run shows in Memphis area again. Yeah, because why, why would you do that? Yeah, why would you work on getting TV if you're not going to run the area? Unless, like, Memphis TV... Well, yeah, he would be... If he's trying to run Memphis, he'd probably be trying to run Jonesboro and the surrounding areas. But I, I don't know how far the coverage from Memphis TV... That's over an, that was over an hour away, so there's no way that Memphis TV could travel that far. Well, he definitely, wait, he's definitely trying Memphis to run in. Memphis and Nashville is probably what? Is, is it at three? Or is that longer? Memphis to Nashville. Because he's running Nashville. Memphis to Nashville. <laughs> he's predominantly I, running Nashville. Yes, he's running suburbs an hour away, but. I just did that drive a month ago. You think I should know? Um yeah, it was about it was about three hours. Yeah, three, it's three hours. I mean, so television probably isn't carrying that now. I no, mean, no, I'm, it's entirely different TV market. But I'm talking more about like if he was trying to run Jonesburg, Arkansas again, trying to get TV in Memphis, but that's still an hour away. That's about seven. I don't miles. think that's his plan, though. I think his plan is to run Memphis, Tennessee. Oh no, that that's what I'm saying. I'm just he, I'm I'm just explaining that like last time. Well, Last run, he was running Jonesboro. He's not trying to run Jonesboro again because he wouldn't try to get TV an hour away. He's trying to run in Memphis proper. I know enough about being in the wrestling business for 10 years that everybody talks. You don't tell me that somebody is not telling Burt Prentice that USWA is about to go out of business. Come on, you know somebody's telling him. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not doubting you. Yeah. I'm not doubting no, it. I know you're I'm just like. I think he wants to run Memphis, Tennessee at this. I think the actual city of Memphis, Tennessee, at this point, at this timeline that we're talking about, and it's in his head that he might run it. I mean, this guy ran Dallas, like the actual city of Dallas. He, like, doesn't, he ain't scared. Burt Prentice was not scared. No, like, who's going to, who's going to try to beat him up? Which is funny because we'll, ponder this in a little bit but if he actually does run does power pro even happen does he just have randy hales run the town i mean that's we'll, we'll, we'll get into if. that that that's gonna be a good question we'll we'll we'll, we'll we'll get into that um i'm jumping ahead here a little bit uh so yeah june june 9 1997 uh he they're in Lebanon, Tennessee on May 31st. Uh, most notable on that, uh, Samantha is here beating Candy Divine. I wonder why. Uh, Bill Dundee uh, beating Tom Burton, uh, also on the show. Uh, we have Colorado Kid is on the show as well. Uh, June 7th, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Debbie Combs is back. We got Samantha beating Candy Divine again. 
Doug Gilbert and JC Ice teaming up. Wolfie D beating Bill Dundee. And uh, Terry Golden beating the Colorado Kid as the notables on the show. Uh, that we have here uh, from the uh, June 30th. Uh, 1997 observer uswa news there's a good deal of heat in the local nashville area promotional war with burr prentice prentice was running twice weekly in nashville at the stockyards but was drawing 90 to 150 fans and is pulled out and is moving his shows to nearby springfield tennessee so is he inching his way towards memphis (laughs) and now i'm starting to wonder too why did he never run Knoxville? Um, you, the the reason. I mean, he does get close to Knoxville later on as time goes on, but like not in this era. The reason that Cornette and Bo James and everyone else has has confirmed, and even like Ron Fuller, that that Eastern Tennessee territory is a dead territory. That no one has really been able to set that on fire and draw huge, huge numbers. And Brent went to a dead Dallas area. He went to a Memphis dying Memphis area. He went to a pretty much dead Nashville. area. Uh, The Metroplex has 5 million people. Uh, Even, even, even with Dallas, not really drawing uh, at that point. Dallas is still un untapped potential. Um, Nashville, what do we have for Nashville? We have probably by this point three million, I would think, in the general general area, maybe two million. Um, but even he he can't he can't draw in Nashville, so he's running outside of Nashville. Like like the the, the Tri Cities, Johnson City. King Johnson City, Kingsport, Bristol, uh, was a big area, but even at that time, you had you had bow running and like even that, like he wasn't drawing thousands of people. But actually, I think it's I haven't heard Bo tell a lot of bird stories. I wonder if he's got a lot of good bird stories. Uh, yeah. I, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear Bo James <laughs> talk about Bird Prentice for for a couple hours. Um. So the Tri Cities. I'm just seeing if there's actual. Uh, Tri Cities has about half a million people. Um, now they have half a million people. I'm sure it was a lot less then, but even that, like Nashville, Knoxville, uh, like Knoxville, Oak Ridge, Pigeon Forge, Johnson City, even down to Chattanooga, really never drew well and. Even Cornette has confirmed that, where it's it used to be a huge territory, but it just really never drew. I don't. Again, we just assuming this is just uh, guessing. This is what this is why Bert didn't run there. But like my educated guess would be that reason, which would be no one really had good luck in that territory, and he probably just he probably just wanted to stick to Nashville because he knew Nashville had a strong wrestling history. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure. I think he does run close to the area later on with the USA championship wrestling, but it's not. Yeah. It, it's not in this area, this time period, which we're only 
two years removed from Smoky Mountain going out of business. So, um, July seventh. Yeah, that's the that's that's the other thing too. Smoky yeah. Mountain just went out of business less than two years earlier, and they went out of business because they couldn't draw. So that could also like be the a prime example, a prime reason. Uh, July seventh, Observer had a uh, June twentieth Springfield, Tennessee show. This looks to be the the new home for the North American All Star Wrestling, and most notable on that is is we got a uh, Colorado Kid. We have OVW Mainstay Trailer Park Trash. Doug Gilbert and De- uh, Debbie Combs are all on the show. Um, then we have an August Love nineteen ninety seven. Uh, uh, from Observer with the August 1st Springfield, Tennessee show. Most notable from that, um, Colorado Kid and Terry Golden, Trailer Park Trash. Other than that, there is no names on that show. And here we go. What did I talk? What did I say? <laughs> what did I say earlier in this episode, Ash? As time goes on, we start to lose the, the, the names. There's. <laughs> On this show, there's no Smothers, yeah. there's no Gilbert, there's no Dundee, there's no JCI's. Like, we are uh, no Buddy Landau, no Tommy Rich. We now have Colorado Kid and Terry Terry Golden in the main event. And, and you know, we got uh, Trailer Park Trash. Um, September 8th, 1997, the final live USWA television show on WMC-TV took place on August 30th after a 21-year run, actually more than 30 years since the show was on WHBQ in Memphis, uh, live on Saturday mornings uh, for many years before going to Channel 5. The show is moving to a one-hour, it'd be 90 minutes taped version, which will air at midnight on Saturdays and replayed on Sunday afternoons. Tommy Rich returned as a heel, but at the Memphis card made the save for Doug Gilbert in his match against Doomsday. Colorado Kid is also returned, which signifies that Burt Prentice is back with this promotion helping to promote small towns. I find that interesting, though, because we don't have any of those names on his card. Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert are not on his last card. No. Um, but obviously, like we were, the results are not complete because... Uh, we just go off of what's publicly out there, and a lot of it's not out there. But yeah, they they haven't been on any of his results in the last few months. Well, it Doug's there for Springfield, but that's in June, and now here we are in you know we are in uh, yeah. late August. So, well, practically, well, practically September at this point. Yeah, yeah, and this is from, like I said, from the September 8th Observer here. Um, we're going to continue with the month of September uh, from the Observer, uh, September 15, 1997. This continue, there continues to be all sorts of chaos behind the scenes. Although it had been reported that USWA had been sold to a Texas group, we're again told by the people in the company that the same three person ownership group from Cleveland is still in control. The only person from Texas in a management position is James Beard along with Burr Prentice in charge of booking and promoting spot shows. And his hiring came from the recommendation of Bruce Pritchard of the WWF. There's infighting among the ownership of the group because very little money is coming in after a lot of money was spent on cosmetic changes to give the promotion and television show a more modern look. And general manager Larry Burden was again talking about leaving this week. 
I believe they went eight days without running any house shows, and with nobody under a guaranteed contract except the people sent here by WWF, the wrestlers had to survive on either their $40 or $100, depending on the wrestler per shot, which doesn't add up to much when you multiply $100 times zero shows. In addition, the company has eliminated the baby faces, uh, picking up extra money working the gimmick table. It has wanted to take over concessions in a more professional manner, but is yet, but yet that has really started happening either. Um, so wow, baby faces cancel merch. Uh, they're cutting down on house shows. Yeah, the the time was grim for USWA. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like they're really going from like a full time territory where you can at least like get by on to now just a standard run of the mill indie where you have to have a day job. All right, uh, October thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven, from the Observer. The latest on the trials and tribulations of. What once was the USWA show saw cancellation of its flagship wrestling show and the opening of a new promotion in its territory. So this is this is the end, folks, here for USWA. Uh, WMC-TV in Memphis, the local NBC affiliate, which had run pro wrestling since 1977, announced this past week that its final wrestling television show be on October 4th. The decision, which came to no surprise to anyone following the story, made by WMC general manager Mason Granger, was based on a lawsuit for control of the USWA that wasn't going to be settled, or, and until it was, the company was largely no longer in operation. The USWA canceled all his house shows this week, and there are no more cards scheduled. The final television show was another highlight show, although the highlights were more current than the previous than in the previous two weeks. Also, on October 4th, Burr Prentice, who had run opposition to the USWA for several years before joining the group prior to it falling apart, opened up a new promotion with the show in Lebanon, Tennessee, before 200 fans using Wolfie Deaver's Billy Travis as the main event. The show was a television taping and mostly used wrestlers Prentice used in his old North American All-Star Wrestling office, some of which aren't doing this group and instead working it for another rival group ran by former Prentice wrestler Farron Fox. Uh-oh. Um, the big news with the new promotion called Music City Wrestling is the surprising involvement of Jerry Jarrett. Jerry is providing some funding for the group and is trying to downplay his involvement with the group, although admitted to involvement with largely run by Prentice. The belief is that the group will wind up taking over the USWA syndication due to the fact that USWA isn't providing any new programming. And the contract with the syndicator and the station only allows for two highlight shows per year, a quota of which they topped with the third highlight show this past week. In addition, with the WMC cancellation, it's questionable if USA will even tape new highlight shows. So, Burt closes down North American All-Star Wrestling abruptly because but yet he's staying but maybe he sees his way back into Nashville. But it's weird that he wouldn't go right from Memphis with doing this. Yeah, and the fact that why would you go from calling yourself North American down in Music City. You're kind of downgrading. Yeah, he's just, oh, it's, it's rebranded again. Well, because it's a new it's a new promotion, Ash. Look at all these look at all these names we have. Tracy's mother, Tommy Rich. So that's and, and six months later, local guys. And then two months later, hey, we got this new promotion. We got Tommy Rich and Tracy's mothers. It's and literally uh, a cycle. Now, jumping jumping ahead briefly, uh, 
he did get a bump with the attendance when he started running in Music City. So it kind of did work. Yes, but this is what he does. This is what he did. This is what he did. It's kind of genius. Like I say, this is one of the most interesting men in professional wrestling history. This, it's it. He just turned and burned promotions. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. And the same formula every time you go into a territory where the notable wrestling promotion is dying or it's dead. You put on all these names that they know. Then you start running these small spot shows. And then the spot show shows start looking like the main shows because all the names are gone. And then you realize that you have tapped out the market. Then you go on to the next market and do the same thing over it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a form. We're literally seeing it. He's done it multiple times. And we're only in 1997. <laughs> yeah, we're only on part three. Yeah. Um, October 27, 1997, Observer. Uh, the latest on the USWA's actual final TV show on WMC-TV in Memphis was on October 11th and not October 4th, as we've reported, which was another replay show. The show has since been canceled, and there really is nothing to report on the re- regarding the court case. Burt Prentice and Jerry Jarrett are going to op- open several cities in the Nashville area, and Prentice is attempting to get television on in Memphis as well. Um, maybe I'll have you look this. Uh, well, you can look it up now, and we'll talk about it ever. But did wrestling ever return to WMC TV? That's a good question. Yeah. So while, while you're doing that, I'll go into this next part here. November 3rd, 1997. For all real purposes, it appears that we can officially signal the death of the United States Wrestling Association. The group with the latest and numerous names throughout the years at a promotion owned by Jerry Jarrett and later Jarrett and Jerry Lawler dated back to the 1970s when Jerry gained control of the territory from Nick Goulas. At this point, doesn't exist except for as a name on a lawsuit. Mason Granger, the general manager of WMC-TV in Memphis, which had been the flagship of the promotion since before even Jarrett owned it, officially canceled pro wrestling a few weeks back. Contrary to stories circulating within the industry, Granger made it clear that he isn't interested in adding a new wrestling show on his station, having turned down a number of promotions. There had been an attempt to have a deal worked out with the two sides involved in the USWA lawsuit, the Larry Bird and Jerry Lawler side and the Mark Selker side, an attempt to save the company's most valuable asset, the WMC TV slot, by having a neutral party, namely former USWA general manager Randy Hales, produce a weekly television show before the court decides who controls USWA, but that deal fell apart before it even started. Um, most of the existing stations in the syndicated network, generally weak UHF stations that program something more of a C program distributed by World Wrestling Federation, which gained control of syndicating the show away from World Championship Wrestling as a way to improve in comparison to the highly misleading weekly syndicated rating standings, will wind up carrying Burt Prentice's Music City Wrestling promotion after a deal struck between Prentice, former USWA syndicator Bill Barons, and the WWE officials on October 21st. Michael St. John and Prentice will handle the announcing of the television show, with the first major taping being on October 30th in Nashville at the Fairgrounds, the longtime home of USWA. The idea on the boards for Music City is to use a country music backdrop, on this show, since the tapings will be coming from Nashville, and use Doug Gilbert, Billy Travis, and Flash Flanagan as its top stars. Jerry Jarrett was also was offered ownership in the Music City group, but turned it down. 
but is working with a group in an advisor role. And his mother, Christine, will be the promoter for matches in the Nashville area. Jerry Jarrett, along with Eddie Marlin and Frank Morell, were at a show last week at the Nashville Fairgrounds, which drew about 150 fans. In addition, they're hoping to use wrestlers under WWF developmental contracts. The group also got television in Memphis on WLNT-TV and the old USWA time slot at 11 a.m. on Saturdays for legal reasons largely due to non-compete cause because of his old USWA contract. Jerry Lawler won't be used by the new promotion, even though his name still means something in Memphis, nor at this point will Brian Christopher for other reasons. Music City won't be running long in the Louis, won't be running in the Louisville market. The old USWA time slot on WBNA on Saturday afternoons was taken over by a new company called Kentuckyana Championship Wrestling run by Mike Samples and Jerry Faith out of Campbellsville, Kentucky. That has small-time television presence in the later market for a few weeks and using the two co-owners along with Flanagan and Stephen Dunn as their top stars and will probably fight with Ian Ron's IWA for control of the grassroots of the Louisville market. Uh, well, that Louisville market is going to get a little more crowded very shortly. <laughs> Uh, Larry Burton, or at least the person who goes by the name Larry Burton, has since came out and discovered a lawsuit that no such person exists under the name Larry Burton. Has been talking about starting his own wrestling company in Cleveland. Those close to the situation believe now that the lawsuits will simply disappear because there's nothing to gain anymore from winning and the company will never return. And friends of Lawler claim he's resigned himself to the fact that the company he built is really kaput. At this point, with the syndication gone, the only thing the winner of the legal battle would get for winning is a large debt. And there are tens of thousands of dollars in unpaid bills to arenas and television stations throughout the old USWA territory. In addition, there may be IRS problems to deal with as well as apparently the company never paid payroll tax for those inflated salaries they were paying to those in management positions. Well, there's Uh, a lot there. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, going back really quick, uh, WMC TV did air Power Pro Wrestling until April 2001. Okay. All right. So, um, so wrestling that, did return WMC. Yeah, that's jumping ahead. That doesn't happen until mid '98. But uh, yeah, w, WMC did have wrestling back. Um, now, for what you've just read, um, <laughs> I want oh. I want to clarify. Yeah, I just want to clarify the part of uh, WB gaining control of the USWA syndicated show, uh, they really didn't have control of that. Uh, what the deal was, it started in like the early 90s when Jerry Jarrett was an advisor for the WWF that when WWF would report their syndicated numbers and how many stations they're on and how many, uh, what, what their ratings are, they figured out a way to group the USWA into those numbers with the fact of Jerry Jarrett working for them. And also I believe they did handle the, the commercial sales, meaning like selling the commercials, the commercial spots to like Hasbro and Eminem Mars and national, national companies, national advertisers. So that was a way of WB to pretty much in artificially inflate their syndicated numbers. Um, again, like there was something where Jarrett and Lawler didn't care. Um, but that would be like that. That explains that little part of uh, 
what you read there. And it's also interesting that he's trying to bring Jerry Jarrett back after he just sold the just sold the company. Basically, try to get Jerry to stout over fresh with a new company. Yeah, and I mean, at this point too, I think Jeff mentions on his podcast, Jerry becomes really less involved, like in '95. And Randy Hales is pretty much running Diddy, and then he sells it in '96. Um, so yeah, he had his own. Jerry had his own construction company. He didn't need. He didn't need wrestling at that point. Now, I don't know if this is the explanation for it, but is this the reason why the the, the tape library is a mess? Because no one really wanted to take real accountability and win the lawsuit because you would just incur it and get all this debt. So no, no. one really fought for being the real owner. No, uh, there was no ownership of the TV library because uh, they never taped house shows. The only shows, the the occasional Memphis, uh, the occasional like Mid South Coliseum show would be taped whenever there's something big when like Coffin was in in town. If Lawler had a big feud, um, if they were filming something for like a music video or something, they'd film those. But their own their primary source of of TV was the WMC Studio Show. And Lawler and Jarrett never worked out a deal for ownership with WMC. So it it wasn't like it wasn't like it was USWA's production team that filmed that because they didn't have a production team. It was WMC TV, their cameramen, their cameras, their production suite that was filming that and sending it out. So technically the TV station owned it. So when you look, go back, like USWA never owned their own their own footage, and that's also why USWA footage could be found on YouTube, could be found in a lot of uh, DVD compilations that you would find a lot of tape trading, because it's the one major company that the library is pretty much in the op- in the in the uh, out out there in the free domain. Like obviously WMC can put a claim out there, but I don't think they care enough. And they obviously don't, they're not doing anything with the footage, so they don't care that it's out there. But yeah, that would be, that would be the uh, issue of the tape library. So again, if you, if you, if someone comes along and wants to buy the company at this point in time in 97, you're not even getting the tape library. All you'd be getting is the name. And at that point, just let it, let it die and, start running his music city yeah and here's my thing if you if you wanted to run a memphis promotion you know what you could call them cwa just get the old name back yeah like do the old name before the uswa they were the uswa you know because of the texas territory and it was you know they wanted a united front um but but yeah so the, the that was kind of a point that struck out to me there uh i mean you have which one of the things that you know music city wrestling was very well syndicated and obviously part that had to do with bill barons helping with that uh the louisville thing is interesting we got mike samples who is a, somebody from prentice's past so we talked about in a previous episode um but yeah i don't even think kentuckyana is there by the time 
uh, Danny Davis shows up with OVW. And then it becomes OVW and the IWA drama for years. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it was a very short-lived venture. But obviously that's something where, at that point, like it, it's not like Mike Samples came in and started started running opposition to to Prentice. Like Prentice was done running Indianapolis area and, and Kentucky area, so it was kind of a moot point at that point. All right, uh, we will, uh, and then yeah, actually, yeah, and then we we kind of we talked about TV, and then the, the, actually I want to talk about Larry Burton. Um, <laughs> Larry Burton, I. I have tried to find him uh, in recent years just because it's just a fascinating thing to me. He just comes out of nowhere, and then he just disappears just like that. But you can't find anything about Larry Burton to this day. So do we even know if he exists? Um. Like he would have, there have I mean, to be obviously a- he was a person. No, that's the thing. Do we know that it was a person or was it like. Or did Lawler make him up or you see Jerry Lawler made the Larry Burton? Yeah, was it just someone, right? Did they just someone doing a weird voice on the phone? And like, I don't know. Did, did, remember- anyone, did anyone ever see Larry Burton in person? Like that, did they ever see a man who claimed to be Larry Burton? But even if, even if they did, there's no proof of. There, there's no physical proof of anyone named Larry Burton. So this could have just been. Someone that Lawler found and said, "Hey, call, we're going in this business meeting. Your your name's Larry Burton." <laughs> I mean, it is. He probably just like looked at, oh, you know, Tom Burton's in the area, you know, and <laughs> and then you got you know all the famous Larry Latham and all the other famous Larrys uh, that were in Memphis, and he, and, and he just he 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 put them together. Um, I uh, I think Randy Hales confirmed his existence, but I could be wrong. It might have been very broad. Me and Randy had a tweet exchange about Larry Burton. Now I can't find it for some reason. Um, but I remember asking him about the ring announcer that was there in 1997, and he goes, he was a Larry Burton guy. I really don't know much information about him. So that might be saying that Larry Burton existed to have guys, you know? <laughs> yeah, unless Randy Hales just keeping kayfabe alive he could be you know uh but I, in, in all honesty i i don't think that randy hales and lawler and jared would be would commit fraud at this level of just making someone up like i i think the whole issue is just like a breakdown and I, I think everyone tried to Everyone tried to operate in good faith, but like good faith in wrestling is still kind of carny. Well, I think you have to, you know, and this isn't a USW episode because there is some USW podcasts out there, but uh, you really got to look at this of, of was it worth it and where everybody was, right? So Jerry Lawler at this point, he's full time with the WWF. He he knows he can work these independents. And I think there is results where he's on in like Cleveland, Ohio and stuff like that in 97. He's working shows like that. But he's at a point where he's about to be very well in his career once the attitude era kicks off. Um, Randy Hills finally gets to really do his own thing with Power Pro. Not being the right-hand man for everybody or just being the guy put in charge. Jerry Jarrett at this point has worked for WWF and WCW in a consultant role. 
Um, and I think, and, and I think Jeff Jarrett, I think has mentioned at this point, he's starting to, his construction business is getting really good. I yeah. Mean, this is when it really, why would any of these off. guys fight for the territory? Yeah. They saw the writing on the wall. They knew it was over. And like, we've, we've talked about it previously where the traditional Monday night Memphis shows, which is always their bread and butter where they would sell out 10, 12,000 seats in the mid South Coliseum every Monday night. Those dwindled down, and they claimed it was because of the Monday Night War that people just wanted the people to stay home for free. I think that was part of it, but at the same time, like Memphis, you don't have that golden goose in Memphis anymore. You don't have that Mid South Coliseum show that's drawing tens of thousands of people. So, like, there's nothing. There's no upside to running Memphis, and not just that. Like the TV, the TV deal was on its last legs going into '97, anyways. Or going into late ninety seven. So at this point, again, yeah, there's there's really nothing to fight for. And Lawler with his WWE deal, his WWE commitments, like now Raw is live every Monday night as opposed to, you know, taped once a month. Now he has to be wherever Raw is every Monday night, plus a pay per view once a once a month. His schedule is his schedule is very limited on what he can do in the Memphis territory. And, uh, and here, here we are, Bert in a battle for a town, the USWA. Well, now we're talking about the whole USWA ending, but this might sound familiar to part one, where we talked about when Dallas USWA pretty much folded in Dallas and everybody's fighting over that area. Well, here we are. November 10th, 1997. In the battle of the old USWA territory, here's the latest on the scoreboard. USWA no longer exists. However, Jerry Lawler is continuing to run one show per week at a casino in Mississippi to hold on to the deal for himself, using himself. Despite a no-compete cause in his USWA contract, Brian Christopher and Spellbinder is the top stars. In Louisville, the battleground is between Kentuckiana, a group run by Mike Simbles, Jerry Faith, and Ian Ron's IWA. Both will be running Tuesdays. Uh, that That's the day to run, guys. And Ron will be putting together television for a local promotion uh, for the first time using Les Thatcher as his announcer. Well, hold on. Les Thatcher worked for IWA Mid-South? Uh, that's, that's what I'm reading. That, I mean, now, granted, IWA Mid-South in 1987 is a lot different than IWA Mid-South in 1999. There is still some a lot of these holdover like uswa type talents um and it's not all death match and high spots wrestling um anyways uh samples group will start running the traditional weekly shows uh at the Leville gardens and has the old uswa time slot uh between the weekly gardens rent and time slot costs that it's 1800 uh per week in nashville burt prentice's music city wrestling which though a deal with former USWA syndicator Bill Barons and the World Wrestling Federation is taking over the old USWA syndication, is battling with a group called New South Wrestling, headed by former Prentice wrestler Farron Fox and local mainstay Tony Falk. Prentice taped television October 30th with a three-camera shoot for syndication, drawing 400 fans in the old Nashville fairgrounds, about 200 paying $3 a head, and the other 200 from about 1,000 freebies passed around town. PG-13 are in for that group, and Doug Gilbert returns this week after Japan. They drew 337 fans to a house show in Nashville two, year, 
two, I'm sorry, two nights later, there's talk of both Tommy Rich and Adrian Street this month uh, using both of them, and they're going to attempt to use the Harris Twins, Skull and Eight Ball and WWF, when they're home in Nashville for the holidays, provided WWF gives the okay. The group debuts on November 15th on WMLT Channel 30 in Memphis at 11 a.m. in the traditional time slot of the USWA, and will run its first show in the Memphis market at the Big One Expo on November 28th and plans to run once or twice per month in Memphis. So here they are. Here it is. We called it. He's fi- he's finally going to run Memphis and the big one expo. Like that was where USW was predominantly running before they ended uh, for those Saturday night shows in Memphis. They started doing Saturday night shows when they think, cause they leave the Coliseum early 97, right? I think, uh, but the big I one expo becomes it. like their mainstay. I believe they left the Mid-South Coliseum before 96. that. Yeah, maybe 96. Um, because, like, rent was getting up there. Plus, like, what I said, like, the, they had that downturn. Uh, when you had that downturn, they were only drawing 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 every Monday night. That's when they moved. I think they – I can't remember off the top of my head the building, but they did They did move out of the Coliseum briefly. Um, and I don't even know if they returned. Um I mean, I'm, I'm sure they returned. I just don't know off the top of my head. Let's see here. Um, the last event of the Coliseum was held Monday, June 17th, 1996, with an attendance of 1,000 people. The final match being Jerry Lawler beating Cyberpunk Fire, who's actually Wolfie D. Oh, yeah, the Cyberpunks. Yep. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. here, after years of declining crowds as low as 410 people for a gate of 2,900 on Wednesday, January 24th, uh, must be 1996, the USWA moved to the Big One Expo Center. So, yeah, they were they were struggling already and, and moved. So I just kind of want to digest this part. So I just kind of want to go back and kind of digest this here. So we got Lawler still running... Pretty much Memphis shows in Mississippi. <laughs> you know, you got Brian Christopher and Spellbinder there. Um, you got the Louisville battle here with, uh, you know, Sam- Mike Samples probably running a very USWA style fed against Ian Ron's IWA. So that that's just interesting. Um, and that, the last stature tie-in's great. And then here you are. Bert thinks, oh, he's got, he's got the series to himself. And here comes a, a former wrestler. And then Tony Falk. Which Tony Falk had a lot of connections uh, and, and knew a lot of the guys, and that probably wasn't good good for him. Um, and then it's a, it's, you know, and, it's then a lot at, of... and this is the Nashville Fairgrounds now. He is at the Nashville Fairgrounds, which is obviously note for later. But yeah, it's obviously like it's there's a power vacuum going on here. USWA closes, and you have all, their territory basically being divided up. It's sort of like it's 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 like the mafia. You have, uh, you have a mafia don that gets gets murdered, and now you have a power struggle where all of the little territories get broken up in between uh, all of the lieutenants. And now you have someone taking over Memphis, you have someone taking over Louisville, you have someone taking over Nashville, and instead of one big territory, now you have all these all these underlings are now just trying to grasp at whatever they can to try to grab the past success. And this is why territories can't work. 
<laughs> no. in, in wrestling anymore because it has been proven now, like, no, I, I'm going to run this town. You don't get to run seven towns. No. I run my town, you run your town. And then that guy runs that town. Even though, of course, those try to run each other's towns here and there. But no one goes, no, I'm, I own these nine towns. And one thing that Bruce Pritchard mentions on his podcast, uh, why are you buying a territory? Nobody, nobody owns it. There's you, you don't get a piece of paper to say you own the territory. <laughs> yeah, you might have rights to the television and run that arena, but you just you don't you don't buy the rights to just run the only pro wrestling shows in that city. Yeah, exactly. There is no legal contract with that, and especially like especially like during this era when you're not you're only drawing a few hundred fans, like. I, each of these cities has multiple venues that can that can cater to several hundred fans. Like you, so even if even if an established company has exclusive deal with one building, just go get another building. And and you think too, like a lot of these, and I get why they're doing it. Like you see, the two promotions in Kentucky are running Tennessee. Uh, Prentice is running Saturdays. Um, I'm assuming if Lawler, it's a casino show, it's probably actually during the week. Uh, they're running different, they're running different days, which if a wrestler, if they allowed it could just pretty much be full time in that area and hop fed to fed to fed, which is basically the territories over all over again. The problem nowadays, you know, and me and you obviously have a modern look at it because we're both involved heavily in independent wrestling is that nobody runs during the week. So it's really, yes, there's full-time independent wrestlers out there that are usually very notable. But just for a, a regular, like, you know, just a good hand to be a full-time independent wrestler, it's hard. You know, unless you're doing something on the side or whatever. Um, you know, you're like you're a podcaster or saying you do really well financially with it. But there is no more weekly, like, we have Thursday shows. But very rarely do you see an independent promotion run Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. We talked about this previously on this this podcast. At least in this era, it's still holding on. Yes, the the last territory Fed is dead. But even in that territory, people are trying to kind of keep it alive as a territory, even though it's like six different promotions. Yeah, and I actually just I did find results for a few of those uh, casino shows. Uh, they're Wednesdays. So they're definitely during the week. Yeah. So there you go. So if 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 it's cool with everybody, and, and I'm assuming you know, you work samples on Tuesday, then you go work Lawler on Wednesday, um, and then you know you could at least be at Burt's by the weekend, and there's probably something between there. There's probably somebody running in Arkansas Thursday. So you could still. Be a full-time, I don't know if the pay is great, but you could still be a full-time day-by-day wrestler in this era, even with USWA being gone. Yeah. Um, and even and, and, and even that, like if you're making 150, 200, 250 a night, like that's still decent money. And of course, you're an indie wrestler, so you're, you're not paying taxes. So, like, and all your drives are short drives, nothing more than three, four hours. Like, you're still, you're not making it rich, but you're you're doing okay. January 5th, 1998, the old USWA territory is turned into something, a hotbed of news outside the ring. 
the lawsuit between XL Sports Limited, the Mark Selker Group of Investors, and Jerry Lawler was filed in bankruptcy court, where the degree of proof is generally considered easier than a regular civil suit. XL Sports is suing Lawler to recover $1.1 million, the pay price they paid for the USWA purchase and $300,000 in expenses claimed as a result of the fraudulent transfer. The dropping of the original suit and subsequent filing of bankruptcy appeared to be measures to get the suit into what would be an easier court to recover the money since the idea is no longer to gain control of the dead company because all you would win is liability to pay owed money to television stations and arenas and the most valuable asset in the company actually had the television deals have all been lost. But to recover the money, the basic claim suit is that Lawler and Lawrence Burtman, Larry Burton, considered, colluded, aided, and abetted one with the other, with others as yet not named as defendants to concoct a scheme and device which to trick, cheat, and deceive debtor by lies, tricks, misrepresentations by material omissions, conversion, and other forms of theft designed to victimize persons later to become principals and of lenders, vendors, employees, and other creditors and to the debtor in delivering to Lawler or Bertman Bert, approximately $1.110 million. So $1,110,000. Uh, the suit itself has has a lot of wording in it. <laughs> as we see, but no documentation to back it up and not a lot of specifics as to what happened other than the factual prices that Lawler and Bertman bought Jerry Lawler's 50% of the USWA for 187,000. The actual sale price had been about 262,000, but Bertman received 75,000 as a brokering fee for putting together the sale between Lawler and Jarrett and immediately sold that 50% plus another 5% to XL sports for 1.11 for $1.1 million. We'll do with that. The suit claims that Lawler and Bertman misrepresented both sides aspect of the sales. The sale suit claims that the maximum value of the entire company in which Lawler and Bertman sold 55% would be $500,000. The suit also claims that Lawler and Bertman conspired to deplete the assets of the company, basically to run it down. It's rumored that the other person not named as defendants in a lawsuit is a very prominent current major wrestling official. Lawler has always maintained that it's simply a big profit on a transfer stock and that the Selkers had no idea to run a wrestling company after buying it, immediately ran it to the ground. Who do we think that official was, Pritchard? <laughs> um, the only action involving the suit, and I don't know if Bruce Pritchard was involved, but uh, they said it was a major wrestling feature. The only action involved in the suit is that Lawler's attorney asked for a continuance until January. Berman and Mike Samples and Jerry Faith of Kentucky and a championship wrestling have been working together in a small way. And Berman, as Larry Burden, even appeared on the KCW television show, introduces the new general manager of the company. See, he does exist. Uh, Bertman and Samples uh, that had a falling out as Bertman is making uh, noises of restarting a promotion along with Lawler and Elliot Pollock. Uh, Lawler and Brian Christopher had been running regular casino shows in the northern Mississippi area promoted by one of the nunnery brothers who are longtime friends with Lawler. Meanwhile, in Nashville, Burt Prentice ran his Music City Christmas music Christmas show before 425 fans, which included a really sick match with Wolvie D and Flash Flanagan, described very similar to the Sabu Sandman pay-per-view match, although a lot more bloodier and not as near as sloppy. Uh, Colorado Kid, by the way, these are Meltzer's words. Uh, Colorado Kid beat Frenchie Riviera, Keith Arden, in a hair match, and Riviera was shaved bald. 
Among those underneath were Rex King, Stephen Dunn, Jamie Dundee, Doug Gilbert, Dutch Mantel, Billy Travis, and Sir Moe. Music City is going to attempt to do a one-night deal in early 1998, and this is far from a done deal, to bring in Stan Lane, Steve Kern, who were huge draws in the mid-80s and areas of fabulous ones, perhaps even bringing in Jim Cornette to work the show as a manager. So Bert's got, here he is. He wants to, now he's in Nashville again at the fairgrounds, a new promotion, and he's packing it with names that the area knows. Yes. And I do want to go back for a second. I'm just skimming through the notes again because there was a lot there about uh, USWA. And obviously, this isn't a show about the, this isn't an episode about the USWA, but it ties in with everything we're talking about with Prentice, with Bird being an opportunist, grabbing Memphis when all this is happening. Um, so the part about the unnamed, very prominent current major wrestling official. Do you think that's Vince? I mean, he is Lawler asking Vince for advice, how to shake the situation out. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. So here's, Here's something that I found. Let's remember too, though. Bruce is like in '96. Bruce is working Memphis shows, so that's why I think it might be Pritchard, but it could be Vince. Here's here's what I found on WrestlingClassics.com. So, uh, it comes from a shoot that Lawler did, um, where Lawler breaks it down about. Uh, Basically what you said, very similar to like the money situation. Um, he said, XL Sports and the Selker family have been enti- had been enticed to buy the USWA on the basis that the promotion could be built up to profitability and sold to Titan Sports for between $6 million and $8 million. Apparently, there was an affidavit filed by Vince McMahon in late 1996 estimating the value of the USWA at between those amounts and stating that the promotion could be a viable developmental promotion for future WWF talent. The XO Sports was also sold in the idea of vastly improving merchandising and syndication efforts. I do remember seeing that somewhere else that there was a video like Vince was put on on the record saying that that the USWA was worth X amount and discussed possibly working with them. Um, and I believe, I mean, Bix and Chris talked about that in between the sheets as well. Um, previous episodes too. Um, and it's kind of weird that Vince would put that out there, but I think believe the general consensus is that that's something Lawler had asked. Um, cause it definitely helped sell the company to the, to, to XL sports. Again, if you, if you're presented with this by like Vince McMahon admits that, Oh yeah, this, this territory is valuable and you are led on to believe that Titan sports and WWF could buy this at one point in time. Yeah. You're going to invest because that's a payday. And obviously that didn't happen. I mean that, that, I mean, that could be, that, that's very, especially you know how, in the weeds Lawler is now that that's very feasible that, that, that was fed out there. That's wrestling's all about that. That that's, that's very cardy. 
Yeah. You, just, you have you have Vince uh, estimate the company is more worth more than it actually is because you're trying to get a payday. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it and Elliot Pollock. Where do I know that name? Why is that name screaming out to me? That's definitely a name I've heard before on other podcasts. I just can't tell if he's a before this era or an after this era, but that name just sounds so familiar. Yeah, I can't find much about it. It it, it definitely sounds familiar, but all right. I mean, we'll uh we'll digress in it and, and we'll move on here uh, to January twelfth, nineteen ninety eight. Music City Wrestling on January twelfth in Nashville is headlined by Wolfie Devers, Terry Golden. So now we got some of the more uh, North American uh, all-star wrestling talents coming in. Uh, Music City Wrestling has been officially accepted as a member of the National Wrestling Alliance. And will be using the name in future promotions and are planning the biggest show co- in hit company history on February 7th called the Fabulous February Reunion with Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, Steve Kern, and Buddy Landell confirmed. And they're attempting to get Jim Cornette and Stan Lane as well. Uh, so this is the NWA thing. I mean, that was at this point a good move because we at, we are, I think like a month or two out from Dan Severn showing up (laughs) and, and, and Jeff Jarrett's going to do his angle. As an as the so we talked about how this was a big bump for US or not USWA for NWA shows in attendance and like an enrollment like everybody wanted to be an NWA fed so this is the hot time that everyone's jumping to be back with the National Wrestling Alliance as far as the small independent promotions uh, from this Nashville Tennessee show that drew four twenty five <coughs> lots of notable names on us Nick Dinsmore who go on to be Eugene. We got Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins on this show. Uh, Flash Flanagan, Colorado Kid, Wolfie D, uh, Jamie Dundee, um, Der- Derek King, uh, most famously from the Wrestling with Deaf show uh, that was on WGN a few years ago, um, and uh, and and yeah, like say Colorado Kid, if, uh, you mentioned me, Colorado Kid is on there uh, multiple times wrestling as well as Dunn and Riggins. Yeah, and uh, just to circle back, uh, Elliot Pollock was the USWA commissioner. Okay. On, yeah, on I knew I knew I knew that name. Yes, I uh, like I knew that name was screaming out to me, and I and I couldn't I couldn't realize where I knew that name there. I, I was getting confused with John Pollock, so like it, in my brain, it was I had to Google that. All right. Uh, and John Pollock post wrestling shout out. I'm part of the post wrestling, uh, network of WrestleNomics. So, uh, so yeah, shout out to John Pollock. I don't know why we're just doing it. <laughs> um, but, uh, so January 26, 98, Doug Gilbert brought his IWA belt from Japan to Mex- music city wrestling and retained it by beating Billy Travis on January 17th in Nashville before 400 fans. From our reports, Wolfie D and Flash Flanagan are having one of the most underrated feuds in the U.S. on top of this group. Yes, how great would that be? Billy Travis winning that belt and going over to IWA Japan. <laughs> Billy Travis in death matches. Now i got to see it. Yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> um, this show... Bert, Bert's doing good business because we're getting numbers 
400 yeah. people <laughs> at this show. Um, most notably here, uh, we have Jason Lee that would all become an OVW uh, mainstay in a few couple for a first couple of years. <laughs> Did Zawar Dunn, Riggins, Gilbert, Travis, Flash Flanagan, Wolfie D all on the show. And of course, the Colorado Kid. Colorado Kid with him, probably the longest tenured. He uh he enjoyed Mike Rapata as a wrestler. <laughs> February second, nineteen eighty-eight, stemming from the NWA exposure on WAF broadcast, Burr Prentice Music City Wrestling's officially joined the NWA. Look, there you go. And at least three other small promotions are in the process of trying to join. The NWA has also sent Jonathan Holiday a cease and desist letter about using the trademark name and Holiday billing himself as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Did we have that in our NWA episode? I don't even remember if we ever addressed that. I don't think so. They're, uh, man, like, why would, especially when the NWA started to be on TV, why would you call yourself the NWA Heavyweight Champion? Uh, Carney. Carney's <laughs> yeah. just trying to draw. Uh, Tommy Rich is headed to Music City Wrestling to challenge Wolfie D for the North American title on January 27th in Nashville. Brickhouse Brown is now working full time for the promotion. So we got Brickhouse Browns here. Tommy Rich is coming. January 23rd in Springfield. 150, a sellout for Springfield, as, as it's noted here. Most notable on there, Billy Travis, Reno Riggins, Brickhouse Brown, J.C. Ice, Wolfie D, Flash Flanagan, Colorado Kid, uh, uh, and Stephen Dunn all on this show. January 24th, Lebanon, so they're doing a little bit of a, 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 a mini tour here. Doug Gilbert be Billy Travis. Uh, uh, Colorado Kid be Brickhouse Brown on here. We also got Stephen Dunn, Reno Riggins, J.C. Ice, Flash Flanagan, Wolfie D. On January 27th in Nashville in front of 120 people, so... Pretty big drop from uh, from 400 to 120. I think he's running the fairgrounds here. Um, most notably here, we got Derek King. Uh, as I mentioned, Wolfie D, Tommy Rich. Bull Payne is here. Um, Stephen Dunn, uh, Doug Gilbert, Billy Travis. Also, somebody called the Thrill Billy is on these shows. Uh, February 9th, 1998. Music City's wrestling fabulous... Fe- February reunion on February 7th in Nashville. Has Colorado Kid in the Headbangers... Of course, we talked about that they worked for Bird a few years before this. Versus Terry Golden and Flash Flanagan and Brickhouse Brown. Rock and Roll Express versus the Tennessee Volunteers, who were Rena Riggins and Stephen Dunn. Wolfie D defends the North American title against Buddy Landell. Shane Eden versus Billy Travis. And Nick Dinsmore versus Dutch Mantel. So, folks, Eugene worked Dutch Mantel, Uncle Zebekiah, at one point. <laughs> uh, we have results for that show that were in the February 16th Observer. Uh, uh, and because this is a big show, I'm actually going to list all the results for this. Billy Travis beat Bobby Bronze. Shane Eden beat Frenchie Rivera by DQ. Nick Dinsmore beat Skinny, Skinny Kenny. So where's where's Dutch? Uh, uh, King Mabel. King Mabel beat Jason Perry. Uh, Wolfie D beat Derek King. Um, and North American uh, title here uh, with double count out. Uh, it, it says Mabel, but I don't know who wrestled Mabel. I'm assuming Colorado Kid. Um, then we have Kevra Kid, the Moon Dogs, uh, and a double counter with Flash Flanagan, Terry Golden, and oh, and uh, Brickhouse Brown. Dinsmore uh, defeated Dutch Mantel. So okay, so Dinsmore wrestled twice. Eden Rivera beat Jason Lee and Mike Maverick. Uh, 
And in the tag MCW tag titles, the Rocket Roll Express beat Reno Ringens and Steven Dunn by disqualification. So, um, eight hundred people at that show. Mabel, at this point, is is he not under WWF contract? Right, he is not. It's and that short limbo period for him, correct? Yes, and according to Cage Match, he worked Jason Perry. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, that was during the time. I I don't know if he was actually under contract during that time, but like he left WWF in early '96, went back to Memphis, worked Memphis. Um, he had like a brief one-off in summer of 98 like a one-off match on raw against shamrock and then wasn't seen again until early 99 when they repackaged him as viscera but during all that time he just he stayed in in memphis tennessee area um but yeah never went to uh wcw although there was the rumor of him being the third man so i wonder if i wonder if he his contract like he his contract status was null and void at the time and he didn't have a WWE deal until, again, until 98, until 99. <laughs> the gap, I mean, I guess, I'm, I mean, now looking at it back at history, I guess there was that long of a gap, but it, di- it didn't seem like that long of a gap to me, you know? But yeah, I guess there was that long of a gap because, yeah, he shows up. Is the, is that the summer stuff? It's in the summer, right? The... Uh, the, the match against Shamrock? Yeah. Well, actually, no. Now I think about it, they kidnap him in the 99 Rumble, right? And they turn him into the Ministry yeah. of Darkness? Yeah. Yeah. No, he did. He The the one off for Shamrock was the night after uh, King of the Ring 98, where uh, I assume it was just like Shamrock just needed a victory. So they brought in Mabel as it, Mabel does a run in and is promoted as a former King of the Ring winner. Just as Shamrock could beat him, and then nothing again until uh, Sunday Night Heat, the day of the of the Royal Rumble, where Mabel came out, was the hired gun of the corporation to beat up on mankind, and then got abducted that night and became Viscera. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember him trying to enter himself in the Royal Rumble, but they like they kidnapped him. Yeah, he beat up. Like he beat up. I maybe one of the headbangers ran in. Threw a, threw a few people out, and then lights went out and got kidnapped. It was 99, so it was the height of the Attitude Era and the, the WWE booking of, like, every 30 seconds there's a run-in of a random person. Uh, all right, we'll move on here to February 28th, uh, 1998 Observer. Actual crowds for Music City Wrestling were 250 in Nashville on January 27th, and 707 paid. For the almost 6,000, the fabulous February Union, February 7th. So 707, not 800, but nice rounding. Um, Buddy Landell no-showed the February 7th show after informing the promotion about one day ahead that he was going to take a booking closer to home. (laughs) He doesn't make... (laughs) Buddy never really made good, good decisions. No, and, and and you know what's funny is is like now nowadays the, the the thing is oh my car broke down I can't make it, and then you see that talent work a show closer. <laughs> yeah, at least Buddy was honest. Uh, they've also found out the last minute about Thrasher being injured in St. Louis, so they managed to get King, King Mabel and the Moon Dogs as replacements. So, okay, so Mabel was the Headbangers replacement. WF apologized to the promotion and reimbursed the company for the additional insurance. 
They require them to take out since they were scheduled to use the headbangers. Wait, so because they had WAF talent, they, whoa, wait a minute. Did we just stumble upon something that I never knew? Um, yeah, I never Did you knew ever, that. So promotions had to get different insurance if they used WWF, WWE talents? That could not have been regulated. Well, I mean, this says additional insurance, but I'm guessing just insurance in general. Because <laughs> indie feds or these holdover from territory feds were not getting liability insurance and combat insurance to cover the cover the wrestlers. So this might have been something WWE required if you booked WWE talent and Prentice and Music City might just never have carried that insurance unless they needed it, unless they booked a WWE guy. Might be this definitely was the era uh, when WWE was cutting back on letting their talent work, uh, work small feds small, and indie feds on their days off. So, I, don't know, I could very well see this. Again, this is this is news to me. I don't remember seeing that anywhere, but uh, it's it's believable. Yeah, I mean that's yeah I've I've never seen this before, but that that that's fascinating. Like, were they regulating that in like '98 when Goldust and Jeff Jarrett and them were working for that Pennsylvania promoter? And <laughs> I, I I would assume like was but was Carluzzo needing to get insurance? Did did Sabio have to get it for IWA Puerto Rico when he had all those talents? <laughs> like, it's a good question to bother here. Um, I mean, Dennis Caluso probably just faked insurance info, anyways. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I'm out of line by saying that. I think a lot of people agree with that. Uh, we had some results also in Ad Observer, um, February eighth in Arab, Alabama. Uh, so he's in Alabama now. Three hundred people. Brickhouse Brown beat Jason Perry. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I'll just list the normals. Brickhouse Brown, Colorado Kid, uh, Debbie Combs, Rock and Roll Express, Rena Reagan, Stephen Dunn, Wolfie D, and Flash Flanagan all on this show. February 14th in Nashville drew 407. So it looks like they're they're, they're, they're getting a little bit of a bump back um, from the big show. We got Brickhouse Brown, Nick Dinsmore, Dutch Mantel, Tommy Rich, King Mabel. Mabel's still there. Uh, Colorado Kid, F- Flash Flanagan, Doug Gilbert, Wolfie D, Rena Riggins, and Stephen Dunn. So stacked lineups. Not very like Shane Eden is probably the only guy on this show. Now, granted, Dinsmore didn't have television yet. He's going to. But Shane Eden's the only guy on the show that probably never did anything nationally. Yeah. Um, And like, look at these results, too. Like, Arab, Alabama, that's two and a half hours away, two and a half hours south, like farther than Huntsville. So he's starting to expand on some of these spot shows. March 2nd, 1998, Music City Wrestling will be running the traditional weekly Tuesday night shows at the Louisville Gardens. On March 17th, the Louisville shows have been ran by Mike Samples, Kentucky and a championship wrestling. So here is Prentice again, swooping in, because I'm assuming at this point Samples is no longer running. And he swoops in and he's running the Garden. Louisville Gardens, um, which this can't be long because, like I said, I mean OVW is there very, but I, but even like OVW didn't run the Garden a lot, right? I think they ran it for just big shows. Yeah, I think they only did two shows there. Um, yeah, I know they did. 
They had the one with Austin and the one with uh, Taker and Kane appearing. Yeah, OVW started in January 1998, so OVW is already going on, but it's yeah. nothing that's... I knew it had to be in this period, but I remember they're very small here. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing... Uh, well, in January, they, they are taping weekly TV, but they're doing it at the Davis Arena in Jeffersonville, Indiana. So they're not even... They're not even in Louisville proper yet. But it wasn't until 1999 that, uh, yeah, it wasn't until 1999 that they actually uh, got the WWE deal and Jim Cornette came into the company. As you know, OVW started in 93 uh, as NWA Ohio Valley. Really? Primarily. I never hear really rumblings until the late 90s, though, like this period. Well, it, the, it seems like they were just like a small town indie. The, the company primarily ran shows in the Kentucky and Indiana territories that were formerly run by the USWA, and with weekly shows run out of the original Davis Arena in Jeffersonville, Indiana. So, yeah, in 97, they ended the relationship with the NWA and named themselves o- Ohio Valley Wrestling. With, And later that year, Trailer Park Trash became the first OVW heavyweight champ. So... Yeah, it just seems like they were under the radar. I assume like they were just drawing 150, 200. <laughs> there weren't anything special at that point. Just a run-of-the-mill, small-time indie fed. All right. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, there was a... Uh... Oh, no, yeah, no. This is the note I wanted to say from the Springfield, Tennessee show, Drew 125. Uh, most notable on there, we got Dutch Mantel, Colorado Kid, Brickhouse Brown, Billy Travis, Rita Riggins, and Stephen Dunn, Wolfie D, and King Mabel. So King Mabel hanging out for a while here uh, in Music City Wrestling. Uh, March 16, 1998, since the folding of the USWA, the three, and this, once again, for the, it, the, it's been the Observer mostly. He was the only one really covering this at this time. Uh, since the folding of the USWA, it's the three main cities, Memphis, Louisville, and Nashville, seem to all have a different situation. The main local promotion in Nashville had been Burt Prentice's Music City Wrestling that runs the old USWA home, the Fairgrounds. Most notably, the Music City uh, gained control of the USWA's old USWA syndication, which gives it a business affiliation with the WWF since WWF syndicates Music City as a C-type show and thus gets a small syndicator ratings and number of stations boost to sell it to national ads and give the appearance of being closer to the overall ratings in WCW. So from what I'm gathering before I continue this, they claimed music city wrestling as one of their shows just to show like, look, this is how great we do. Yeah. Uh, pretty much what they were doing back in the day with, uh, a few years earlier with the USWA. It helps boost their numbers. Um, and Music City Prentice get a portion of the ad revenue. Since Lawler and Sunbright and Christopher both work for the WF, WF may use the new Memphis territory as a place to send uh, younger wrestlers as under developmental contracts. The traditional Tuesday Night Louisville shows were first being run by Mike Samples and Jerry Faith's Kentucky and Championship Wrestling, which regularly used ECW talent such as Sabu and Rob Van Dam. But crowds in the 150 range created financial problems. In addition, Ian Rodden continued to promote IWA's arrival in the market as he had done with USWA was still in existence. 
Music City will be taking over the weekly Louisville Garden dates on March 17th, only leaving only Memphis without a local promotion. Lawler had either been promoting shows on his own or been some in some form of promotion without his name on it for legal reasons. Every Thursday in Lula, Mississippi, a city not far from Memphis called Casino Championship Wrestling. Um, fitting. <laughs> uh March 14th in Nashville drew 250. So now that that rub from that February show is dying down already. Um, we got Dinsmore, Dundee, Riggins. Uh, or Jamie Dundee. Yes, Jamie Dundee. Yes, Jamie Dundee, Riggins, uh, Stephen Dunn, Doug Gilbert, Flash Flanagan, all on that show. March 30th, 1978. King Mabel was stripped of the Music City's North American title on March 21st and is done with the promotion. After no showing the card that night, Nashville, they'll have a Royal, a rumble Royal, I'm sorry, a rumble Royal. They're calling it on April the 4th in Nashville to create a new champion on a card build as the Tojo Yamamoto Memorial. I remember seeing this as a kid because music city wrestling would, wasn't syndication here. Um, I want to say it's the channel 67, which I think was America one. But I remember seeing Tojo Yamamoto Memorial show. So I'm assuming it was this. They also did an angle regarding the Southern Tag Team Champions as Stephen Dunn attacked promoter Burt Prentice and was stripped of the title and will decide the new champs in a four-way dance on April the 4th. Uh, on that show, and folks, you can see this the OVW influence on this show. Because we got Rob Conway, Trailer Park Trash, Jason Lee on that show. We also had Brickhouse Brown, Chris Michaels, Colorado Kid, uh, Stephen Dunn, Reno Riggins, Flash Flanagan, uh, Wolfie D, and Jamie Dundee. April 6, 1998. According to Howard Brody, current NWA members are Dan Briley, Danny Davis of Ohio Valley Championship Wrestling out of Jeffersonville, Indiana. Brody of Tampa, Sean Brown of Maple Leaf Wrestling in Chatham, Ontario, which I think we know him. <laughs> we'll have to talk off air, but I'm pretty sure we know Sean Brown. Shooter Sean Brown. If That's it's the him, same, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, Sean is spelled the same way. I might have booked him once. Yeah. Uh, one of the times I was booking. Um, the only time I ever worked ago. the show in Chatham, Sean Brown was there. <laughs> Shooter Sean Brown. Might it very well could be the same person. Um, Ed Chumman, Buddy Solchek, and Sean Pyle of Midwest Wrestling outside of Bloomingdale, Illinois. Dennis Corluzo of West. I love the the these cities. West Deptford, New Jersey. Steve Carino of NWA 2000 in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Don Lewis of Atlanta. Gene Miller of Carleton, Michigan. Jim Miller of Pro Wrestling Express in Pittsburgh, which is still a thing, by the way. Um, Michael O'Brien of Northeast Wrestling in Cornwall and Hudson, which is still a thing. Uh, Burr Prentice and Bill Barons of Music City Wrestling in Nashville. B Victor Kinonis of the IW in Japan. Dave Republic. That's not a, that's not a real name. <laughs> of Extreme Canadian Championship Wrestling out of Vancouver, which they're still around. No, I don't know if Dave Republic is. Um, which will be renamed NWA Pacific Northwest, which I don't believe it ever is. Um... I know the ECCW, they they they, they did have some uh they, they were under some controversy a couple years ago. Um but Steve Steve Rickard of New Zealand, Tony Rickard of Honolulu, okay, uh Ryu Takata of Wrestle Dream Factory in Japan, Ken Taylor of North NWA Southwest Championship Wrestling out of Plano, Texas, 
Ernie Todd of Canadian Wrestling Federation Winnipeg, Bob Trobich. We we know Bob Trobich well on this show. <laughs> uh, company lawyer, not a promoter of Charlotte, and Victory, Victoria Van Allen of Century Wrestling Alliance in Boston. They crowned a new national champion on March 27th in Mount Holly, New Jersey. Doug Gilbert won over Barry Windham and the Rocco Rock, who was replacing Terry Gordy. So you have it here. Uh, Bill Barron's attached to Burr Prentice on this here. Of course, Bill Barron's affiliation in the NWA is 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 very long, uh, long history there. Uh, but we, you know, Bill Barron's one that got on the syndication deal. And like, we can't, cancer is enough, like, the syndication, Bill Barron's was a master at that. And he is, Bill Barron's still around. He is a master at that. Like, the way he syndicated music and wrestling and syndicated Wildside. Yeah. Uh, March 31st in Louisville here for Music City Wrestling. Uh, most notable, we got um, Stephen Dunn, Rio Riggins, Din- Nick Dinsmore, and Rob Conway teaming together. Um, Colorado Kid, Trailer, pa- tra- pa- trailer Park Trash, <laughs> Wolfie D, Flash Lanigan. Uh, and then in April 4th in Nashville here, we got this Andy. Is the, this is the Tojo Yamamoto show, I believe. Yes, Tojo Yamamoto show. Okay. And, got, and, and no attendance either, so they probably didn't draw well. No attendance listed. Um, we have a result of the Colorado Kid beating Andy Anderson. This is Andy Anderson, the wrestler who is from Canada and he wrestled in Puerto Rico for a long time. And he has had notable appearances, well, not notable, but he's had appearances ring of honor as well as the WWE. So, so you mean he's this not, is, this man Jersey. is not from New Jersey. No, he, he's not claimed that he's wrestled the Steinos in Japan. No, this is El Lobo, Andy Anderson I'm trying to decipher those two. I want to separate those two. They're not the same person. We got Dinsmore and Conway on this show. Man, there's so much early OVW on this. I didn't realize that. Because, like, Dinsmore and Conway beating Jason Lee and Trailer Park Trash, that's an OVW match. Yeah. Uh, We got Wolfie D, Flash Flanagan, Chris Michaels, Brickhouse Brown, uh, Debbie Combs. Kyra Kid, of course, won the uh, Battle Royal, become North American champion. Um, And uh, we got the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, and, and a tag team called Ladies Night Out, which I'm not sure who that is. Let's on there. See. Um, yeah, I don't. Oh, uh, Frenchie Rivera and Shane Eden. Okay, so his his local mainstays. Yeah. Um, April 20th, 1998, Bill Barons has agreed to buy full control of Music City Wrestling in payments over the next six months. Barons, who may have one minor part partner in executing the buyout owned 25% of the company while Prentice owned the other 75. Theoretically, Prentice will continue at least six months after that point as general manager of the group. Really, that 75-25 split was never a real paper deal as Barron's was handling the syndication end and Prentice the live promotions end. Pro- Barron's wants to open up in Chattanooga and Knoxville to add Nashville and Louisville. All right, there you go. Uh, so that Bill Barron's wanted to didn't seem like Burt wanted to. Um, this is interesting because this is this adds up to a timeline of when Burt would want to get out. You know, I mean, he's been he's been running for a while now. It's it's about that time that he just wants to walk away. And I mean, but he's running music. He's been running Music City solid in Nashville for about a, about a year. It seems like, and this is usually where he likes to walk away and get out. 
It's not going to work that time. No. Um, April 27, 1998, there was some sort of confrontation backstage at the Raw taping in Philadelphia between Dennis Corluso and Jerry Lawler. Corluso was trying to book Brian Christopher, and uh, Lawler didn't want his son working for him because, among other things, he was upset that Corluso allowed Burr Prentice into the NWA. There's also heat that Carluzzo is close to the Gilbert family, and Doug Gilbert and Jerry Lawler aren't exactly on good terms since Gilbert left a threatening message on Lawler's answer machine when somehow Gilbert got word, apparently from Sid, that Lawler said something derogatory about Eddie Gilbert. Well, uh, Sid's d- spreading rumors. D- d- Doug's Doug's gonna Doug's gonna uh, be very vocal in about a year <laughs> <laughs> about Jerry Lawler. If you guys know that infamous clip that's that's on the internet from yeah it's on youtube yeah yeah um but uh but but now the law we don't even know lawler and prentice have heat yeah they're on bad terms now which like lawler and barons are okay from everything i've i understand here i think running when he was running the big one i think he probably wasn't happy about that or he had plans on the bad i don't even know if he ran it (laughs) well as as we've already went through like Lawler contractually could not work in the territory but yet he's mad in Memphis yeah so it's so it's not like he's mad at he's mad at Bert because Bert's not booking him like he he legally can't book you uh May 4th 1998 Music City Wrestling will be representing NWA's 50th anniversary show on June 6th in Nashville where fans are supposed to vote for the greatest NWA champion of all time Schedule of the pair of the show are both ter- Tully Blanchard and Harley Race. On April 18th, Jamie Dundee lost a loser leaves town ma- match to Flash Flanagan and is apparently now wrestling in the area under the mask of El Diablo from Mexico. There will also be a NWA 50th anniversary weekend on October 23rd through October 25th in Philadelphia and a Hall of Fame banquet in the card featuring wrestlers from all 20 NWA promotions. So multiple NWA anniversary shows. It's about that. That. That's very NWA of them. And this is going to be fun. This is a letter to the Observer. We read with interest every issue of the Observer, yet wonder when Music City Wrestling will receive, receive more than just its occasional mention in the here and there section. Although MCW has been barely in business, has been business barely six months, sorry, uh, it has accomplished much. MCW has the third largest broadcast syndication network in the wrestling business. MCW has promoted matches featuring more than 50 different wrestlers. MCW is the only promotion that runs a traditional wrestling circuit, Nashville every Saturday, Louisville every Tuesday, plus Bottowns. MCW promotes shows in six different states and continues to expand. MCW is the largest member of the NWA and has assisted the organization in its rapid growth. And most importantly, MCW is making money. In your April 27th issue, a reader commented on MCW. For the record, Jarrett has no financial interest in MCW, nor has he provided financing. Jarrett acts as an occasional advisor and is a friend. While this reader dislikes MCW's family entertainment image, it has brought the children back to the live wrestling shows. By banning beer, MCW has reduced the stupid drunk quotient and created a better live atmosphere. MCW strives to be different from the rest. We continue to read that certain wrestlers have a problem with the existence of MCW, its owners, and its membership in the NWA. I wish these people would control their petty jealousness and concentrate on their own careers. 
Dennis Curluzo should not be credited nor blamed for letting MCW in the NWA. That honor should go to Howard Brody. Curluzo has never met Burt Prentice and only knows Bill Barons from meeting him at old Smoky Mountain shows. Bill Barons, Burt Prentice, Music City Wrestling. So the, the part that stands out to me is that, uh, that they're the largest member of the NWA and they've assisted the organization in its rapid growth. Uh, I believe the World Wrestling Federation has assisted them more in their rapid growth. Uh, yes. MCW. A hundred percent. Um, and you know, the whole banning beer family entertainment thing, like it's just one fan not liking it. They were really unnerved by that. And listen, it's 1998. Like the Monday night wars are in full effect. I Dave's not going to cover you in full detail. Yeah, like Raw's, you have Raw, you have Nitro. You have and he's WWE. Yeah, plus Japan is is taking off at this point. They're, they're doing hot business. Like, like maybe if you sent in results with actual truthful attendance numbers. May 11, 1998, uh, Music City Wrestling is a show on June 19th outdoors at the Thompson Park in Gallatin, Tennessee. Billy Black is headed for its group. Uh, appearing at the NW 50th anniversary show on June 6th in Nashville will be Harley Race, Nelson Royal, Jerry Jarrett, and Bob Armstrong. Uh, two results here. Uh, 250 people on the April 25th show in Louisville. Um, you got your typical cast. Reno Riggins, uh, Nick Dinsmore, Rob Conway, Flash Flanagan, Andy Anderson, uh, Jamie Dundee is El Diablo, Chris Michaels, Brickhouse Brown, uh, Flash Flanagan. Uh, we have, I'm sorry, I must mention Flash already. A lot of the same people, Rob Conway, they're, they're doing a lot of, they're doing that whole singles match turning into an eight-man tag uh, type deal, it looks like. We also have results from May 5th in Nashville. Uh, you got Trailer Park Trash, Brickhouse Brown, Nick Dinsmore, Andy Anderson, Colorado Kid, Rob Conway, Stephen Dunn, Flash Flanagan as the Notables. Flanagan worked a lot of double triple duty on these shows. Yeah. Uh that's why I'm sorry if I'm saying his name more than once is going through that. Uh June 15, 1998, Music City Wrestling ran its NWA 50th year anniversary show on June 6th in Nashville, with Jerry Jarrett, Jackie Fargo, Harley Race, and Ole Anderson as its special guest, drawing about 550 fans. All the legends got a good ovation, although obviously Fargo, who was a local star, got the biggest. Jarrett uh, inducted Fargo into the Nashville Wrestling Hall of Fame, and Colorado Kid inducted Corsica Joe into it. Also, the show included Sarah Lee, Cora Combs, and Christine Jarrett. In the final match, Colorado Kid beat Wolfie D when Wolfie KO'd the ref Fargo, who was the ki- who was Kid's second, did a run in and punched Wolfie as Wolfie tried to hit Kid with the title belt to lead to which a pin which Fargo countered. Uh, I'm sorry, Fargo counted. Uh, Fargo and Colorado ended the show doing the Fargo strut. Apparently, Fargo's punch looked infinitely better than Crusher's last week. June 6th, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and th- there's about 550 people here on, on this 50th anniversary show. We'll go with all the results because it's a big deal. Rock and Randy beat Eric Freedom. Frenchy Rivera beat Jason Lee. Terry Golden beat Chris Walker. Uh, Skinny Kenny beat Tommy Rose. Deputy Dog beat Atomic Dog. Um, Shane Eden and Chris Michaels beat Andy Anderson and Brickhouse Brown. Rex King and Flash Flanagan went to an old contest with Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins. And the Cotter Rock Kid beat Wolfie D. Um, seems like it's just a Music City Wrestling show. Yeah. Yeah, the 50th anniversary and 
Yeah, it's just a Music City show. Uh, June 22nd, 1980, a few years after drawing its biggest house in history, Music City Wrestling in Nashville, the company made its Georgia debut on June 11th in Dalton, Georgia, before less than 100 fans. And in the ring didn't show up. And the ring didn't show up. They laid down some gym mats inside the barricades and started the show 30 minutes late, held four matches with the final bout being a 30 second long main event, which Flash Flanagan and Reno Riggins, where it appeared Riggins broke his ankle and the show ended in about an one hour. Um, I'll get full results of the, the mat show here. 100 people, they say 100 on there, uh, but... Dave said it's less than 100. Fred Rivera beat Skinny Kenny. Brooke House Brown and Andy Anderson beat Chris Michaels and Shane Eden. Colorado Kid went to a double counter with Billy Black. And we had Flash Flanagan beat Rena Riggins. First off, how do you how do you get a count out when there's not a ring? This is mad. You just said what I was about to say, too. Like, <laughs> uh, and I, Bo James recently mentioned on Between the Sheets about uh this is this was actually a common occurrence back in that area in the Tennessee area where you will have shows where rings don't show up and you set mats down and you you do what you can. Well, it's probably like you're running a ring from somebody and and then they're just like, you know what, I'm I'm not going to bring that ring today, or something happens at a trailer or whatever it might be too. I yeah that that used to happen. It doesn't happen as much now in indie wrestling. But I remember in the early 2000s that that and uh, wrestlers stealing rings and nothing ever being done about it. That that was a common occurrence. There was that infamous like, is it Nikolai Volkov and Bobby Fulton? I remember it was Volkov that that happened. I'm pretty sure it's Bobby Fulton is the other guy. But yeah, there's an infamous picture of the mats, probably like the late. 2000, uh, <coughs> like late 2008, 2009, maybe a little earlier than that. Um, but yeah, uh, did the, the kitty, you're, 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 you, you draw 550 and then you draw a hundred in a new market in Georgia. And, and that's the thing, like have your own ring. I know there is promotions still this day, big promotions that will rent rings from other places. And I get it, but It'll never happen if you if you bring your own ring there. No. So that a- Ash just got an alert on his phone. Uh, the ring <laughs> rent is coming. <laughs> um. All right, here we'll uh, go to July 6, nineteen ninety eight. Music City Wrestling will be running a King of Nashville tournament on August eighth. Uh, in of course Na- in Nashville, uh, Mister Hughes no showed the scheduled debut. Uh, with the group on June 23rd. Tommy Rich was scheduled to start back up on June 30th, teaming with Flash Flanagan against Reno Riggins and Stephen Dunn. Oh, Noah, no Mr. Hughes. And he would have to, he would have to wait a good year before he's with Jericho uh, in WWF. Um, July 13, 1988, Music City Wrestling doing its first taping outside of the Nashville area with a show on July 8th in Smyrna, Tennessee. MCW Driggins, Drew its biggest crowd to date in Louisville on June 30th with about 300 and drew 550 uh, to Nashville for its July 4th spectacular. Doug Gilbert, Blackbird, and Chris Champion started for this group with a feud with the Black Sheep, which are Flash Flanagan and Wolfie D. 
versus the Tennessee Volunteers, which are Stephen Dunn and Reed O'Regan's, is the headliner on July 11th. Apparently, there is controversy stemming from Don Lewis's June 24th show in Marietta, Georgia, and his subsequent quitting of the NWA. Apparently, Lewis was using Bill Barron's, the owner of Music City's Wrestling, to book talent for the show, and then before the show, decided that Barron's, whose promotion has has run a show or two in Georgia under the banner of MCW Georgia, so MCW Georgia, the early early wild side, it looks like, um, was a competitor. There were several major no-shows on the card, in particular Sid Vicious. At this point, it would be only news of wrestling if Sid actually showed up for a booking. So Sid, that was Sid's thing for like 20 years, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, Del Wilkes, Barry Windham, and Marlena. Uh, and it wound up being Dan Severn versus an Iron Sheik main event that lasted all 90 seconds. We talked about this on our, on our first ever episode. Um, yes, we did. Uh, oh man, I I I just I want to watch this for Secrets DQ. Uh, Wilkes, who was advertised as uh, Severn's opponent, didn't appear on a show that drew between 200 and 500 fans, depending on the report. Jim Cornette, who handles third party bookings for the WWF, so this is probably why a lot of these promotions are getting WWF talent now because of Cornette, uh, yeah, um, being you know head being fond of that area. Uh Cornette uh, released an official statement on Fiasco. He claimed that Lewis may have had the, had the money to promote a show, but didn't have a clue on how to put a show together, and that he booked Wyndham and Marlena since they both lived in the area, and thus no trans would be required for the show for Barons, who has been a longtime business associate of Cornette's dating back to the days of Smoky Mountain Wrestling when Barons syndicated Cornette's television show. When Barons and Lewis had their split, Cornette said that Lewis was a first-time promoter and they're no longer dealing with Barons, who the WWF had also had a prior business relationship with. And when it comes to television syndication, he needed to send the WWF the talent money in advance along with signed contracts and proof of insurance, which is typical WWF protocol when booking talent to promoters they've never worked with in the past. Cornette said that the deal would have to be finalized by June 18th, and Lewis agreed to it. But after that, Lewis never called back, and Cornette heard from someone else the next day that Lewis was telling people that he had canceled Wyndham and Marlena's appearance, blaming the WWF contracts. He just didn't want to get the insurance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm taking it as that. I don't, I don't know, but I'm taking, that's what I get from that. And probably also didn't want to pay trans, but mostly the insurance. Um, July 20th, uh, 1998 here, Music City Wrestling will be airing interview segments with Jim Cornette, leading to the debut of Al Snow with the same head gimmick. Uh, Brickhouse Brown had been suspended for life from that office with Brown gone. <laughs> Wait, Brickhouse Brown, life suspension. <laughs> okay. Uh, with Brown gone, Debbie Combs is now managing Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins, along with Andy Anderson. Top feud continues to be Dunn and Riggins versus Flash Flanagan and Wolfie D. Um, result, results, they drew 400 there. So, I mean, you got uh, Debbie Combs, Doug Gilbert, uh, Stephen Dunn, Reno Riggins, Wolfie D, Flash Flanagan, all still there. July 27, 1998, Music City Wrestling is now running four shows per week in the Nashville area with every Tuesday at a local nightclub called the Mix Factory, Wednesday at the Expo Center, Friday in Lebanon, Tennessee, and Saturday at the Nashville Fairgrounds. Louisville have been cut back to every from every Tuesday at Louisville Gardens to monthly 
with the next show on August 2nd. Most of the area main events are Wolfie D and Flash Flanagan versus Steven Dunn and Reno Riggins. The tag titles held by Dunn and Riggins were held up when Dunn was suspended for giving the ref a DDT on the floor. Recount of the Truth Commission showed up on July 15th TV tapings to do an angle with the Colorado Kid. Everyone was raving about the high-flying uh, letterweight match on the tapings with Shannon Moore, who wrestles in the Carolinas Kid Dynamo, against Willow the Wisp, Jeff Hardy. So, this is a fun little uh, excerpt here, huh? Um, we got the recon from the Truth Commission, which, the, is that Poirier? Uh, it's a good question. I can't remember which one that is. Um, pretty sure it's Poirier, but while you're looking that up, because not, or is it Buchanan? It's either Poirier no, or it, No, it's both Buchanan. Okay, it's Buchanan. All right, okay. Poirier was sniper, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, so Bobby Cannon, he's here. Uh, still under WF contract, though. We have Shannon Moore and Jeff Hardy. Uh, you know, having innovative cruiserweight matches in 1998 on in Music City Wrestling here. And and that's and that was kind of the beauty of a relationship with Bill Barron's. Um, Bill Barron's obviously would go on to Wildside, and 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 Music City Wrestling has really lays the foundation for Wildside. And Wildside is probably one of the most undertalked uh, independent promotions of all time. Uh, lots of history there, and I know uh, Chris Zellner uh, from uh, Between the Sheets. He's done a uh, uh, Exile uh, uh, on Bad Street uh, deep dive on the history, and they're continuing to go through. Of it of Wildside, I totally recommend it because it was a promotion that mixed that southern indie style with the high flying style nowadays, and you see it here at Music City Wrestling. Um, and it's interesting too. We got El Snow, we got Recon. They're definitely. I feel like WF's looking at them for developmental, but they're not developmental because at this point, WF does have Power Pro. But we know they 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 do. Then they move to Memphis Championship Wrestling, and then of course they get with OVW. So it's it'd be interesting if Music City Wrestling actually became a full time. Uh, they didn't, but if they uh, did become a full time WWF developmental. Yeah, uh, the Power Pro Wrestling issues. Uh, that's probably something for an entirely different episode. Um, but yeah, WWE had WWE used Power Pro had issues with Power Pro, had issues with Randy Hales, pulled out, did send people to Music City. Um, but yeah, definitely you could see here, they're starting, they're starting here, they're starting, really during 98, 99, they were looking for something. Like, before the, before OVW was, before they agreed and set on OVW. Like, they were, they had a lot of a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. All right. Uh, August 3rd, 1998, Burt introduced a new heel manager named called Ernest T. Pattern after Ernest T. Bass of the Andy Griffith Show. Because that's 1998. That's what you need to do. That's like a Vince McMahon thing. Yeah, it's topical. Um, they're in Loganville, Georgia, drawing 150. Lord Humongous is on this show. Uh, Billy Black is on this show. Uh Silky Boom Boom. Really, there's no... I'm surprised there's a... Well, this is Music City Wrestling Georgia. So as I say, there's no really Music City Wrestling staples on this. 
Uh, and then in Lebanon, Tennessee on July 25th, uh, then we got Andy Anderson and, and, and we got Rex King and Chris Michaels and Reno Riggins, Wolfie D, Recon, and the Colorado Kid. Uh, August 10, 1998, Colorado Kid regained his Music City North American title from Recon on August 1st in Nashville. And Wolfie D and Flash Flanagan regained the held up North American tag titles, beating Stephen Dunn and Rio Riggins in a cage match on the same show. They are doing a promoter versus promoter angle where Burt Prentice, the, being the babyface promoter of Music City Wrestling, and Bill Barons, who's the actual owner, being the heel promoter of Music City Wrestling, Georgia. Dunn and Riggins in the storyline along with manager Princess D, Debbie Combs, quit the Tennessee group for the Georgia group, although they actually are the top heels in Tennessee under the guise of the TV contract states that a certain number of Georgia wrestlers must appear on the Tennessee shows. So because the Monday Night Wars are so exciting, they're trying to create their own war. Yes. And obviously Georgia's Music City, Georgia is not doing as well as Music City Nashville, so yeah, let's let's do an interpromotional war to try to up the crowds. August 7, nineteen ninety eight. Here, Colorado Kid was given the same NWA North American belt that Jeff Jarrett wore briefly in his WWF uh, on August fifth in the Music City TV tapings to represent that kid's Music City North American title as the official NWA North American title. The biggest angle of the taping saw that heel owner Bert, Bill Barons brought up. Rick House Brown, who was banned from life from Music City by Burr Prentice and said that he had signed into the heel group MCW Georgia. Carolina Indies, uh, Chris Hamrick and Dr. Feelgood apparently tore down the place in the taping. Bill Dundee will be working three dates for the group next week. We have Music City Wrestling is now running shows every Monday at the Mix Factory and Nightclub in Louisville, where they air Raw is War for two hours on the big screens and follow it with a live MCW show. That's very smart. Yes and no, because Raw's ending at 10 o'clock. And then, or actually, I think 11 o'clock at this point, right? This is 9 to 11. Um, but it would be no, 10, it would be no, 10 o'clock 98. there. Oh, so 98, was 98 to 10? Yeah, 98 was still 8 to 10. They were still... Eight. No, wait a minute. Now, we're talking Eastern Standard Time, so obviously it's going to be... It, it will be an hour behind. Yeah, but I'm saying like Eastern time. I'm trying to because th- they were eight to ten. I mean, this is August 98, so I think they're nine to 11. Monday, nine to ten. Monday. No, because they when they moved, they moved from eight to ten during the Monday war when they were still an hour. They I, moved. They, see, they were I always thought the first hour of Nitro went unopposed. They did, but then when they moved to two hours in early 97, they moved. They weren't 9 to 11. They were 8 to 10. So they were the, they were the same time as uh, they're in the same time slot as Nitro. They were 8 to 10. No, they changed. It was late August of 97, I want to say. They moved back to 9 to 11. Because it would have been this, it would have been around the same time that they went back. They weren't live every week anymore. They were going live every other week and then taped every other week. 
and I believe that was late 97. So I'm going to... Well, well we, we can uh, look at him yeah, and have, yeah, a, yeah. have an answer on our next show. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, we're, we're going to kind of... I'm just going to kind of take it to the anniversary show here, and then we'll we'll wrap up for, for, for this episode here. Uh, August 3rd, 1998, uh, Observer, at this week's Music City tapings, they did an angle while heel owner Bill Barron's got an injunction to stop the barbed wire match between Flash Flanagan and Wolfie D versus Steve Dunham and Regan Riggins. However, Burt Brett just came out with Bart Dunham, uh, Durham and high profile Nashville attorney and said that the injunction didn't go in effect until the following Monday. So they could do the match on Saturday night. They also held a bikini contest between Debbie Combs and uh, Devin, a stripper from Ken's gold club, which is a local sponsor before Devin could show her stuff. He hit her with a brick. Okay. Uh, this week's Louisville gardens are being moved to the traditional Tuesday night to Friday nights. So, and this is that period we're starting to get there where people don't want to really see indie shows in the week. No, not at all. Um, January 7th, I'm sorry, January, uh, September 7th, 1998, Al Snow returns to be city wrestling on September 11th, Louisville against Brickhouse Brown. And we'll work Nashville on October 3rd, as will the rock and roll express work that show, which is billed as the MCW first anniversary show on August 29th, Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins, Tennessee volunteers, Won the MCW tag titles from Wolfie D and Flash Flanagan, uh, and Brickhouse Brown won a loser leaves town match over Andy Anderson. <coughs> September fourth, nineteen eighty eight, Music City Wrestling's first anniversary show will be on October third in Nashville with Rock and Roll Express and Al Snow appearing. Burt Prentice is telling people that he'll be getting completely out of the wrestling business once the company totally transfers to Bill Barons over the next few months. Uh, September twelfth, results from. Music City Wrestling Georgia only drew 75 people. We do got Rex King and Steven Dunn there wrestling against each other. So, well, you know, well done going against each other there. Uh, Billy Black, Wolfie D also on that show as well. But how about that? 1998. Burr is going to be done. <laughs> Getting out of the business. So shocked. Uh, October 5th, 1980, among the matches at the October 3rd Music City Wrestling Anniversary Show in Nashville will be a Stephen Dunn, versus, a Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins versus Robert and Jason Gibson, Al Snow versus Flash Flanagan, Colorado Kid defending a North America title against a wrestler to be announced from the heel MCW Georgia group, Brickhouse Brown versus Bort, Bart Sawyer, Shane Eden versus Wolfie D and more, Carl LaDuke, the former star of Joe LaDuke, is also headed in. If I'm not mistaken, Carl LeDuc still promotes up in Quebec, too. I do believe so. Yeah. Um, October 12th, 1998. And this is is where we're going to take it here with the results of this. And we'll pick up next time after this. But this is the Music City Wrestling first anniversary show drawing 450. Atomic Dog beat Kyle Von Bronner, who's Chad Manning. Lord Humongous beat Corey Williams. I would would love if Sid was Lord Humongous there. And just like <laughs> that, those were the events he showed when he actually wasn't appearing as Sid. Um, Silky Boom and Reggie Rivera beat Todd Martin and Chris Michaels. Lone Eagle beat Little Josh. Bart Sawyer went to a double count out with Brickhouse Brown. Uh, Robert Gibson and beat Stephen Dunn and Reno Riggins. And North American title Cadillac could beat Bill Barons. <laughs> and Al Snow beat Flash Flanagan by disqualification. So we made it officially a year. 
Bert wants out, but he doesn't get out. <laughs> um, but him and Barons, uh, I mean, they, they're it's a good, pro- it's a fun promotion. It's got a mix of young talent, the the Southern Territory talent people know, and you know they're bringing in people like Jeff Hardy and Shannon Moore and Chris Hamrick, people that would be innovative in the next few years in the wrestling business with the high flying style. So kind of wrap up this part here you know we see the end of we see north american also wrestling starting the nashville market and then the pivot to the change uh, in the name uh he gets away from nashville and then goes on back to start music city wrestling and we see how uswa kind of affected all that and really that split up of, of the territory but here it is burt gets nashville and burt gets uh, Louisville. He didn't really push for Memphis hard in this area, which does surprise me, but he did pick up a lot of those pieces that USWA territory. Uh, but yeah, I mean, right place, right time for a apprentice. It seems to be, he's always there to pick up the pieces when there's uh when a town uh, loses its notable promotion. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think this era right, right here is his most promising to date. Uh, even even though his draws are kind of the same, his draws are so stagnant. But when you look at the talent he's bringing on the shows and the potential he has, that now he's really he's not running in the shadow of the USWA. No matter where he was running, even in Dallas, he was still in the shadow of an area that the USWA was running or used, previously ran. Now USWA is is gone, and he's running Georgia. He's running. Eastern Tennessee, he's still running Louisville, albeit once a month. He's, yeah, he has the most potential now to actually break out of the the small town, small time territory system that he's been doing all throughout the nineties. All right, and uh, with that, we are going to end this part three episode. We'll. Dive into part four uh, and to give you kind of a prelude in that, you know, we're going to discuss uh, this Bill Barron's uh, relationship with Burr Prentice. And of course, we know, obviously, Bill Barron's does spin off and Wild Side does become a thing. Um, uh, and then we're going to kind of talk about Nashville as a wrestling scene and how Music City Wrestling turns into NWA Worldwide wrestling and why that all happens and all that and a lot more on the next episode um but uh we really want to thank you guys for listening just uh, you could of course follow me uh chris gullo on instagram facebook and twitter uh of course you can check out rediscovering the indies rta pod on twitter and instagram rediscovering the indies on facebook um and you know of course tell your friends you listen to us and all the you know, yeah, your Google Music, your Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all that. You can listen to us. What do you got? Uh, well, and actually, as as you're listening to us here for the month of May, I just I'll put show plugs. Um, May 7th, I'll be in Erie, Pennsylvania at Revenge Pro Wrestling. May 21st, I'll be at Empire State Wrestling for ESW Brawl Fest as well. So check out both those shows where I will be at. Uh, plug away for you, uh, Ash. Uh, I'm going to be all over <laughs> In the month of May, uh, got some production gigs in Jersey, got some production gigs in New York City, uh, some West Coast stuff, more GCW events. Uh, I'll be at AC, 
probably be in Vegas. Uh, I'll be all over the the month of May, and of course, also with uh, ESW along with you in uh, on May twenty first, whoever works. As you can tell, Ash is a very busy guy. I, I also, you know, of course, you can check me out at WrestleNomics. Busy doing that too, kind of trying to we're trying to put as much content as possible on that so um we do thank you guys for uh being patient with us i know these shows used to be four or five hours long it's a little hard to do nowadays but we want to at least get it out to you once a month as promised so we really want to thank you for support the, the 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 numbers haven't dropped much um we really we really thank you and tell your friends you know we just we we do this because this is a passion project you know, we don't do this for the money. We don't do this for the fame. We literally do this because this is a, something we are passionate about. And we enjoy all the great feedback and support that we get. Um, But yeah, guys, thank you all for listening. We'll be back with part four here uh, um, at the end of May. Uh, thank you once again to Matt Johnson, the podcast briefing the BSCPV Radio Network. Keep supporting independent wrestling and keep reading up on your independent wrestling history.